hope I can make it through a Degrassi viewing podcast. I'm your veteran Donnie. I'm your heartbroken neophyte Frank. Today we're going to be checking out Degrassi Season 4, Episodes 7 and 8, Time Stands Still. Uh, before we get too far into this episode, the biggest content warning possible for this because this is the school shooting episode. Uh, because of this, we're going to be taking a look at quite a bit of topics. We're going to be talking about bullying, we're going to be talking about harassment, we're going to be talking about specifically sexual harassment, we're going to be talking about homophobia, gun violence, intimate partner violence, and ableism. Um, and there may be some other things that come up. As always, please check out the description before you try to give this one a listen. And unfortunately, really, a lot of this stuff is just going to be coming up continuously in this episode. If you need to sit out on it, it is totally okay. Uh, but now that we've gotten that out of the way, we have a very special guest to help us through this episode. This person is someone that we have been able to turn to during some pretty rough episodes. And honestly, I can't really imagine experiencing this with anybody else. So please give a warm welcome to Jazz. Hey, Jess. I would say glad to be back, but maybe episode. Um, I I am happy to be here to help y'all make it through as you help me make it. Yeah, I mean that's exactly it. It's like one of those things where it's like the heavy episodes come with the territory of being on this podcast. I mean, this was an episode that. We will probably talk more about when we do our season four wrap-up, but honestly, it was an episode that weighed heavily on me since we started this project. It is an episode that just I remembered very distinctly as a kid and also knew that no matter what, like, there was never really going to be a right emotional time to do this episode, but also at the same time, like, I'm glad that we're all here to, to do it together. Like, I feel like it's kind of almost the purpose of a show exploring topics like this. Right, definitely. And I the topic of this episode is something that, you know, is extremely poignant in, in these times. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so, like, especially, like, with my background, like, I was in Virginia. I think this episode came out in, what, 2004? I yeah, actually that. was in Virginia for the uh, VA tech shooting. Oh, um, yeah. And so I might have actually seen this episode around that time. I can't remember when. I saw this episode a lot of... A lot of memories attached to this one for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, as dark as it sounds, I do kind of think about how, like, we could know what the latest moment of gun violence is at the time of this recording, but I have a sinking feeling that, like, no matter what you do when you listen to this episode, there's probably going to be something that has happened fairly recently, which is incredibly dark, but unfortunately speaks to how there's themes in next generation that you know we're talking about it's the early aughts at this point in the series and a lot of topics that are extremely dark and extremely difficult are still fucking happening Mm -hmm. this is an episode that shouldn't be evergreen and yet here we are still in this mess but i mean Dahlia is very insistent on giving us attention during this episode. She understands that it's rough. Um, so before we get too far into this one, let's stick... Uh, I mean, let's let's figure out our A-plot and our B-plot. Jazz, would you like to introduce them? Uh, uh, who, the most important A-plot of my childhood intersects with the most insignificant B-plot of my childhood. Does that work? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, pretty much sums it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and for the sake of this episode, because honestly, this B-plot is nothing. It really, I would argue, did not need to be there. 
we're just gonna go through it, A plot, B plot, all put together. We're just gonna go through it in order because as you will find out if you are not familiar with the B plot because you watched this episode as a kid and you didn't think to rewatch it, it means nothing. Yeah. So let's get started. Um, we start off at the front of the school. Rick enters. He has like a beret going on. Um, Spinner just kind of slowly creeps his car up with Jimmy in the passenger side. Uh, slowly pulls up to him, stops the car, reveals that he has this brand new undercut, which I thought at the time was one of the fucking coolest hairstyles. And now I have that hairstyle, and now rip me, I guess. <laughs> It's really bad. <laughs> look, look. Not, not yours. <laughs> Thank you. Sean, uh, yeah, Spinners. <laughs> See, that's what happens when, like, a straight oh. person tries to do an undercut. Like, that's just what happens. It's like, if it's like... It always looks bad on straight people. Like, I, it's a queer cut. <laughs> yeah, like, it. I'm sorry. It is for... It's not for you, straight people. Like, there's just <laughs> something about it. It just never quite works. No belongs to the lesbian. <laughs> And the undercut belongs to the queers. It's just... Is it? That's it. It's just bizarre. <laughs> but, so, like, he has his kind of shitty-looking undercut. Um, Jimmy and Spinner kind of grab Rick's beret. They kind of toss it together among each other, then uh, promptly toss it in the trash. And, of course, as Rick tries to go grab it from the dumpster... I should be clear, it's a dumpster. It's not just a garbage can. They tilt Rick into the dumpster... And the ominous music plays as Rick grimaces, and then we transition into the opening. The, the thing is, like, Spinner is kind of pulling a classic bully move. Yeah, of, it's very, like, season one-esque. Well, not even, I was going to say more of, like, a general bully move, where they try and, like, flip the script, essentially. Well, because like, they, like, honk at, at Rick, and, like, they're like, oh, it's rude not to say hi. Yes, they do that. It's true. Which is, yeah. like, one of the worst bully tactics. Yeah. It's it's not a good one at all. Um, and it's just kind of, like, kind of a very classic bullying kind of altercation. And we've talked about this a bit in past episodes, because obviously this has been something that's had a lot of lead-up, especially in this season, but also in flashes of prior seasons. Like, this whole entire plot with Rick occupies a very peculiar space because I feel like there are flashes of brilliance in how they've handled Rick in terms of like talking about how a lot of people who are involved in these school shootings classically are abusers and classically hate women and there's a lot of these consistent threads that we've seen through various mass shooters of this nature but also at the same time, there's this complicated piece of bullying. And it's almost like th this whole entire plot is between two ideas of how we characterize school shooters. There's a part of it that's that very um, classic take on the Columbine shooters and how they were misunderstood and all that type of stuff. And like, you know, maybe if somebody smiled at them or if somebody was nice to them, they could have turned it around. But also at the same time, we are seeing consistent evidence that that doesn't really matter. Rick was um was a total fucking jackass monster. Yeah. From like the not a good person in any means. Exactly. It's it's this very complicated thing where I understand in some ways the writers want to show a gray area, but also at the same time, is this the space to show a gray area? 
I don't really think it's a gray area as much of it's just like people are complicated and like it's because I, I at no point did I make the I, I don't I never got the feeling that the writers were trying to make me feel bad for Rick like mm-hmm. there was never a point I felt sympathy towards him because he doesn't come across like he doesn't come ever come across as charming or nice or anything like that like everything he does it still makes him stand like it's he's standoffish he's arrogant he's uh just like he never says sorry he never does anything to redeem himself mm-hmm. like he keeps pushing towards, I want people to see the real me, but the real him isn't anything good. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's no, it's the cl- classic uh, screenwriting trope, like, sa- the save the cat moment. Rick doesn't have a save the cat moment. Yeah. Like. It's hard for me because I, I agree to a certain extent. I agree that Rick, for all intents and purposes, does not have any reason for us to find him redeemable. But. It also feels like we, as viewers, are supposed to be frustrated and upset with the fact that the that his peers harassed him. You know what I mean? Like, it's like almost two separate yeah. points. It's not that Rick, we want to sympathize with Rick, but we are disappointed in our heroes for failing Rick. And I feel like this specific conversation, we should definitely revisit towards the end, because there is, like, a specific moment that happens in the second part of the episode. Well, in the second, you know, episode of this two-part sort of story deal, that I really want to touch for this. Absolutely. But I, I will save my comments for later. Yeah, for sure. Alright, so let's table it then and move on. Yep, so we go to the school, um, Spinner kind of parks his car, the bell rings, he's running into class... Rick promptly appears next to the car and begins to spray paint an X on the driver's door. Um, And then Rick eventually goes back into school. He bumps into Jimmy. Uh, They have a bit of a tiff. Um, It results in Rick calling Jimmy a Neanderthal, which is always a yikes. And as they are having this altercation, Snake sees them. And Jimmy kind of brandishes his hall pass, is trying to desperately to get himself out of the situation, being like, look, like, I, I'm good, I'm good, he's not, goodbye. Um, and Snake then kind of starts asking Jimmy a bunch of trivia questions relating to, they are two different things. They are, um, number, the first question is like, what are the three longest rivers? And then... <laughs> And then the second question is, uh, which football team was it? Is that Mo- where you asked the Buffalo Bills question? Most NBA championships. Excuse me, the most NBA championships is this one. Um, and Jimmy answers them flawlessly. So Snake is like, "Hey, Heather Sinclair's got mono. So guess what? He's on the trivia team." And Rick is fucking pissed by this development. Yeah. Um. So at Joey's house, <laughs> like. <laughs> Oh, boy. Did I miss something? Has there been a mention that he's selling the house? No, I think the only real thing that we have is the fact that he has told Craig earlier in the season that they are in financial straits. I guess it's worse that it was let on, but... 
you know what? Shit happens. Fine. Sure. Basically. It's just an awkward place to put this game. Yeah, it's really weird because I actually don't think... I, I'm very torn with the adult plots in Degrassi because there's a part of me that feels like it is kind of... It could be such a good device from a storytelling perspective to have these adult plots run because I think in so many ways it could teach teenagers like look like a lot of the shit that you're dealing with now it doesn't necessarily get much easier when you're an adult a lot of these miscommunications these like misread opportunities these ones who got away like all of these types of beats that you experience in teenage love do sometimes unfortunately come back as an adult and where I think that could be a really good like learning device I feel like they miss the mark all the fucking time with this because this plot is literally Joey talking to a real estate agent. The real estate agent being like, yeah, whatever, we'll sell it, we'll clean it up, it'll look fine, it'll look fine. Don't worry about it. And and him being like, oh yeah, sure, okay, okay. As Craig comes down, he's like really sick, allegedly. Um, and then Joey is just like, fine, I guess you can stay home while also, like, trying to juggle this conversation with the real estate agent. And it's just like... <sighs> like, there's... It's awkward. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awkward and not in a good way, either. It, yeah. This whole scene, I felt just like, this doesn't... Wh- where did this come from? Why is it here? Can we please move on? And it also feels like there should have been more weight. We saw Craig so affected by Joey talking about the financial situation. We saw him wanting to try and do what he could to do right by Joey and to figure out how to make this whole entire situation be more manageable. And yet, we see him, like, kind of being thrown into this situation with a real estate agent and Craig is, you know, really frustrated by it and now has to take matters into his own hands. It just feels like, it just feels like a whatever plot, not only because it's in contrast to this very serious A plot, but also just in general. It's like, if you're going to have this situation be the shared potential financial ruin and how that's going to impact somebody's life, like, really go hard on it. Don't do this weird kind of half-ass type of job on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's all I have to say about that scene. Yeah, let's move on. All right. <laughs> so, so we go to the hallway at school. Emma approaches Rick and Toby. She has a bunch of flashcards in preparation for the trivia. Um, and Rick kind of goes into how he's going to drop out because of Jimmy's presence. And Emma... <sighs> fucking emma she's really trying to like get under my skin i swear to shit this fictional character um right (laughs) this fictional child this fictional child really knows how to get under my skin um emma takes this weird type of pep talk approach to rick and is basically saying like you know you, like, they don't know the real you. And, like, you have put all this time into changing and everything. And, like, this, if you could deal with Jimmy being on the team, that will be, like, a sign of growth. And it's just so frustrating because we see... I don't know. It's just, like... I don't think the writers know what to do with a character like this. Like... Yeah, honestly. Like, it seems like they're floundering around, like, do we try and make him sympathetic? But he's also clearly the bad guy, and it's just, just figure it out, because whatever you're doing, it's not working. 
It also just feels like the contrasting point of having Emma in this role makes no sense. Now, what they probably should have done was have Darcy, because Darcy was the one who kissed Rick in that past episode, and she's an outsider. She wouldn't know. I would believe that she would buy into that idea of, like, people don't know the real you. Emma, I understand she was trying to just, she just kind of went through the motions and was trying to to have, like, social clout. At the end of the day, she was in school during the time frame that Terry was in school, then got knocked in the head, and then was hospitalized. And, like, that will have a ripple effect. But if you have Darcy in this role, this whole entire episode, just imagine Darcy instead of Emma, it would have ended up making a lot more sense. Uh, 100%. Yeah, I do agree with that. Yeah. My thing is just, like, how much FaceTime did Terry and Emma actually have? Together? Yeah. Like, none. I think that's kind of the point. Yes, but I think also they're writing into a bit of a hole because Emma is somebody who... I mean, it's just the type of character Emma is, not necessarily the emotional buy-in because of her connection with Terry, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Because, you know, Emma being the the gung-ho, like... Uh, why first turn it popped into my head like social justice the warrior that the type that that people would use derogatorily but like yeah you know she's very much so the activist type and so i feel like even just her hearing about terry's situation would already put her at odds yeah but we'd also know she has very conservative values we do know that yeah, so like yeah. her viewpoint is almost constantly skewed yeah and we we saw her kind of like show her ass the last time this whole entire plot happened with uh, how she was like in alliance with Paige and obviously Paige was not 100% correct in the way that she was handling things but we kind of saw their their alliance and we saw the alliance fall apart for various reasons as well mm-hmm. for me it's just like I still think Emma's not one I mean I think we all, all can say Emma's not 100% pure in her activism no. Like, she oh, yeah. She does it because it brings attention to her. Yeah. Like, and yeah. all things considered, like, hanging out with Rick would bring attention to her. Mm, yeah. So. And she can sleep at night knowing that she's taking the time to, to not, help. Now in, oh, I'm reforming a lost soul. Right. <laughs> you know, a, Right, but, like, when it's Sean, it's like, okay, there's threads of humanity here. When it's Rick, it's like, ugh. Yeah. So, she's, he's just, like, a lost puppy like Sean is. Nope. Right, right. It's like, um, and he, so, like, they're kind of talking. She really takes this, like, they don't know the real you type thing. Do you, Emma? Do you? Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, what what evidence do we have? Like, I, and I mean, maybe that just kind of speaks to how much she wants to buy into this narrative for herself. Like, it's not really about how much redemption Rick has actually had. It's more about the the um, the desire to kind of just like fit a narrative that she wants. Yeah. With herself, which is like not great, but. I do understand why this whole entire mess is the way it is. And Rick is manipulative. Yes, Rick is manipulative. Yes. He's manipulative. He's charismatic enough somehow, some way, that he kind of pr- kind of hooks on to, you know, 
people's insecurities and is able to kind of get himself in 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 some degree of social standing hence his friendship with toby hence you know the fact that he's made his wormed his way into this circle it fucking sucks and let's not forget, yeah. let's not forget one of the main reasons why emma wants him to like make nice with jimmy or poor jimmy is because she wants him on the team because she wants to win yeah once again I'm going to follow this thread with Emma for a while now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, why not? Like, yeah. because, like, if they win, that brings attention to her. Yeah. I mean, it explains why. It does not mean that she deserves what she goes through in this episode. No. But it does... Right. It, it, like, it does kind of speak to some of her intentions with her actions leading up to it. Yeah. But to be clear, it does not excuse what, what she goes through in this shit. Yeah. It does yeah, suck. Yeah, of course not. So then we cut to uh, Rick and Radish's office, and Radish is just, oh boy, just taking the prize for best principal and educator ever. Right. He's just like, I'm busy. <laughs> and Radish is like, well, what do you want me to do? And like, he specifically says that, because like, Rick is kind of like, you know, like, there's a student I'm having issues with. Um, and he's just like, I can't make people like you. Which is like, oof. Yikes. Fucking oof. Uh, Mr. Radich, sir, I require a kind of favor. Um, it's considering a member of the Whack Your Brain team. Do I look like I have time for a chat, Richard? Your point? Yeah. If I wasn't, like, the high school Frank would have just started crying then. <laughs> yeah. Like, and he basically... Like, how else do you react to that? Right, right. And, and I don't know if you have the last bit of the scene where he basically, like, says, like, you know, basically, tell me some, when something actually happened. Well, I mean, he's, he's harassing me, sir. Harassing how? Well, he doesn't like me. He has no problems expressing it. So you ask me to order the student to like you? Do you really think that will resolve matters? Richard, I've told you time and time again, it takes two to tango. You don't like him, and he doesn't like you. So I suggest you try hard to get along. Come back if anything serious happens. That is all. Dumbledore's a better principal than he is, and Dumbledore put <laughs> ma many children into... Well, so did Radish. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, the problem is also, unfortunately, this is very real. Because yeah. there are yeah. kids who... I don't want to say they are kids who cry wolf, because I don't think that's actually true. But... Because they are very hyper-aware of how they are perceived, they tell people, um, they tell adults the situation, there's not enough evidence, or there is, like, you know, like, they don't want to put the time into figuring it out, or whatever, and they keep getting these reports, and they keep getting these reports to a point that the adults just want to do anything they can to kind of push this kid aside. In Rick's situation, I mean, this is a very complicated situation because this is someone who, who has those actions on record, what he did with Terry and things like that. But I do know kids at school who are going through a fucking lot. Like, they are dealing with mental illness, they're dealing with bullying, they're dealing with just overall, like, just social conflict. They don't know how to resolve it. And... Instead of actually really trying to take the time to help these kids and help develop their skills and things like that, instead we have situations like this where the kid is constantly reporting every single conflict and the, the adult in the situation is numbed out to it. And it's a very sad situation that I've seen literally at every single school I've ever worked at. There's always at least one kid. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's 
low-key, that's how, like, handle things. Like, until I have, like, show me proof evidence, like, we're not going to do anything about this. That's how cops and, like, law people treat situations like this or even more serious than this all the time. And it's wild to think that's also how, like, schools operate in the same sort of vein. Yeah. That, like... It's, I don't know, I just, I don't really have anything concrete to say. I just can't believe that. It sucks. It, it really, truly does. Like I said, like, it's something that I've seen literally every single school. And, and it, it's, it just kind of, I mean, there's a lot of things at play, right? I mean, in Radish's right. case, it's not as well established, but, like, Educators are overworked, they have a lot of responsibilities thrown on them, they should not necessarily have all those responsibilities thrown on them. Because of that, we have this fucked up system that basically is like, I am not going to engage unless I have proof. And it just spirals and spirals and spirals and spirals from there. Yeah. And it's, it's very sad. Um, and it's frustrating because in the case of this, I think this is where... This is where this episode, once again, occupies a very odd space. Because it's like, on one hand, the fact that we are talking about um, preventative measures. It's hard because, on one hand, this could have been a lesson in preventative measures in the sense that we, you know, Radich should have had a restorative practice of some sort in place if he was going to have Rick come back into the community. What does that look like? How does he keep Rick accountable for his actions while also maintaining the fact that he is a child? Like, that that's the real thing, but instead it goes into this realm that is not quite appropriate, I would say. Which is, like, taking this angle of, like, he was being bullied. Or he was yeah, feeling uh, harassed and he wasn't feeling heard, and because of that, that's why he brought the gun. And I think, like, this just sort of goes back to, you know harping on because they deserve it like it very much so feels like they just wanted to add ramp up the drama to the situation and they didn't even necessarily think about how this could have like actual repercussions or like view this as a piece of media learn from it or grow from it like it definitely felt like we're just gonna try and make a, a super drama filled plot point um, maybe throw in some lessons in there, but not really, like, well thought out. Like, it feels very much so, like, the same vein of how well thought out the, um, the, like, Heritage Day episode was. An attempt even made, but at the same time, like, the execution was just all over the place in the world. Yeah, it's it's hard because I, I actually don't know how much of this is straight-up intent and how much of this is... Just the fact that our understanding as a society and how we characterize school shootings have shifted significantly since this episode aired. Um, mm, that's true. Earlier, when we were talking about this plot, I believe when Gray was on, I, I said that like maybe the best thing to do with this whole entire plot is to really look at it as a point in a timeline as opposed to bringing it to 2019 terms and kind of being like, look, like, this was, in so many ways, the understanding that a lot of people had about school shootings. And we can see the beginnings of the growth in how that is, and we are beginning to see the growth in terms of, like, how we can change the perception and 
in many ways find the truth behind the demographics of school shooters but also it's 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 so i don't even want to say recent because gun it's so like i don't know it's hard because gun violence has existed for a very long time it's just the rapidness of it it, it just it's occupies this very peculiar space in our timeline of how we characterize school shootings and the shooters responsible for it very true so, um, the next scene we have, we have the part, we're in the parking lot area. Spinner and Sean see their car, uh, Spinner and Sean see Spinner's car, um, and Spinner's just like, this car's fucking cursed. Meanwhile, Jay and Alex approach them and reveal that that Jay's car was also marked. And they end up in this really complicated kind of situation because Spinner, being a privileged boy, says, oh, like, we should tell Raj that this is going on. Sean is like, Raj is not going to do shit. And Jay brings up the point that, like, what are you going to do if, um, you know, when they find out why you're being targeted? Because you have a reason for why you're being targeted. It's not like this is just some something happening to you. So they end up kind of deviating from the plan of going to authority figures and instead begin to plan a way to kind of hatch some sort of revenge plot against Rick. I also like that Sean's just looking at the car like, you're going to want to get this off your your car before it really sinks in there. Right, like, he's just like, he's just like, hey, man, I do really well in auto shop, and this is what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, I know cars. Um, so they decide to basically jump Toby at the water fountain, and this sucks. Yeah. Because, like... Yeah. My mouth hurt watching this scene. Um... Uh. They want to know where Rick is, and um, when Toby refuses to answer, they um, Jay smacks Toby's head so it hits the water fountain and it cuts his lip. And Spinner is just like, "Thought you were smarter than this." Yeah, it's it's not great, and it like I said, it just hurt to watch. Like, just like there was this very visceral feeling I had watching the scene. You could feel like the way you could feel like the way when you get hit. Like, yeah. it, you feel it in your teeth. Yeah. That Ugh, sucks. I feel it right now. Although it's really important because Jay calls him a wiener. <laughs> okay, let's keep going! Um, so. Uh, short, uh, it's a short scene where Toby arrives for practice and he's bleeding and Simpson is just like, okay, I'll get you some ice, but Toby refuses to say what happened. Yep. Um, Jimmy it, tries to, like, kind of take it upon himself and is like, hey, like, who did this? Yeah, like, because Jimmy and him are old friends. Right, right. Rick, Rick is just like, Rick is just having not, nothing to do with Jimmy and calls him out, rightfully. Yeah. On just like, you're a bully too. Like, it doesn't matter. We're not going to tell you. And this shouldn't be happening. Um, it also says something, I should just stop it. Yeah. Which... Is a red red flag. No chilling. Yeah. Um. And it. I mean, yeah. That the scene just cut. We cut back to Joey's house, and Sydney's back. Yeah. Called so. called by Craig, who was either sick or faking sick, and makes a really weird comment about like, "So you're into younger men?" Yeah, he does. Fucking gross, Craig. Craig, chill. Um, and I and. Craig is trying to convince Joey 
to use Sydney to sell his house because Helen is not doing her job. But also, like, Sydney doesn't even sell residential homes. Like, Joey's like, yeah, but she sells, like, department stores. And I'm like, yeah, aren't those two different things? I don't really know the overlap in reality. And you could put, you could put like, three fry, fryers in here. Uh, this is my daughter's bedroom. <laughs> yeah, but you still could. <laughs> um, Sydney is just like, I think we should just call this off. Um, and Craig points out, she's not desperate for this job like Helen is. Like, Ugh. use her. <laughs> um, and Sydney's like, yeah, I'm, I'm out. Bye. Right, right. Yeah, she's like, well, like, she tries to, like, talk, tries to talk to Joey about it. And honestly, she's trying really fucking hard and she should not have to. Because she's just kind of like, I know things we ended on bad terms. I'm not denying that we ended on bad terms, but I know you need help. And she specifically says, come on, Joey, we're not 18, which made me fucking scream because obviously Joey and Caitlin were dating at 18. <laughs> and Joey's still 15. All right, and I'm just like, <laughs> for it. Um, and Sydney is like, fine, fuck it. You're not going to be able to deal with it? Fine, I'm fucking gone. And I'm like, you're right, Sydney. You were fucked over. At, at first I saw Sydney, and I was just like, oh, God, there's going to be, like, a betrayal here. She's going to sell his house for a dollar. And then mm-hmm. I was just like, you know what? Fuck you, Joey. I hope Sydney does sell your house for a dollar. And then, like, sells it to Angie. And Angie becomes your landlord. Right, right. And, then, and like, um, and as, like, she is grabbing her things to go, Craig is begging Joey to, like, do something about it. <laughs> All right. Trivia practice. M- move on. Moving on. Trivia practice. It's, so It's just a bunch of kids answering questions. Yeah, Rick knows everything but sports. Jimmy knows sports. This is where the Buffalo Bills question came from. Um, and as they're leaving, Jimmy compliments Rick on his ample knowledge about all random things for trivia. Um, and as this is happening, Spinner, Alex, and Jay approach them. And Jimmy takes the time to defend Rick. Um, and then Rick, as he's walking off, does the kind of, like, the fuck you, like, crossing your arms gesture, which I guess they couldn't just straight up do a middle finger, because they were like, oh, well. We're kids. Yeah, and also, I think, to signify, hey, I did it. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, so he's, they're, like, doing that, and Jay, of course, his response is, bad move, freak. Did we say ableism in the, in the thing? Yes, I did. Okay. I included ableism, do not worry. Okay, at Rick's house. Uh, Rick's mom is hemming a suit. Um, she makes an observation about how, how in a year you'll be the size of his dad. And Rick has a mutter. Do you have the transcript? What exactly does he mutter? Because I heard something and I listened to it twice. I don't want a sales job. I never want any job. Yes. So, so very nihilist, I guess. Um, and Mrs. I, I guess it's honestly like this does remind me of the Sean and Jimmy conflict where they could relate to the fact like, hey, our parents aren't here. Like, right, right. It's just like Rick's father apparently isn't around a whole bunch either. Yeah, he like sells sh- sells shit, and because of that, he's traveling constantly. Yeah. Um. And then Toby arrives, and this is where things truly get tense because um, 
His mother, like, Rick's mother reveals, like, basically, like, Rick just tells her big fat fucking lies and talks about how, like, Jimmy is really close to their friend group and how they're super popular and all this type of shit. And Toby is, like, very uncomfortable, and yet he also is, like, agreeing with it because, like, Rick gives him a look during it. Asking him to play along, basically. Uh, I'm guessing this is kind of like a Norman Bates reference that he calls her mother. You worry, too, you worry too much mother. Pretty soon Toby and I will be running that place. To which Toby says, uh, yeah, we're the coolest. Right. Okay. Um. And then we go back to Joey's. Craig claims that he's sicker. And he needs to stay home. And then Joey says he'll be cleaning. And he's mad about how Craig called Sydney. And as soon as he says that, Craig's like, Well, I'm putting on my school clothes. Fuck off. Bye. Is, is Tessa Campanelli something? Yes. Yes. Is that another ex-girlfriend? Ooh, that was the girl he hooked up with for, uh, you know, betraying <laughs> Caitlin. So, uh, Yeah. We cut, to, we cut to Craig outside, he's walking down the street sending a text message. Yeah, he's like, hmm, Tessa Campanelli, hey, how's it going? <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically Craig's like, I'm going to school because even though I'm, so, uh, even though I'm sick, I'd rather go to school than deal with you. Um, and he's also, mostly his concern is that Joey is so against working with Sydney and so against trying to do something that will actually help him that he's going to just sell the house for dirt cheap, not actually make a profit off of it, and I assume it's implied further their debt situation. I think that's the problem with this plot, is like, the, the actual, like, the stakes are not high enough for me as a viewer. Like, I don't get this feeling that they're on the verge of, po like, not poverty necessarily, like, I don't think it has to be that dire, but like, I don't get this sense that like, things are truly that awful. Well, the fact that this hasn't been mentioned in episodes, like, ha yeah. have Craig, like, go to school and be like, oh, I haven't been taking my, the money for lunch because I haven't been, like, wanting to spend it or yeah. something along those lines. And it just, like, give me something because all we know is that Craig bought a $4,000 guitar and he, like, Joey might lose the dealership in that, which is a nebulous term. Yeah. Like... I don't, uh, like, I don't understand. I don't understand what, yeah, like, I don't get where this is coming from. Yeah, it's very, like, let's use adult things like that as, like, a smokescreen as opposed to truly getting into the consequences of it. And also, to make it relevant to the plot, how that is impacting our characters, and namely Craig, who is one of our main protagonists. Like, how is this going to impact his day-to-day -day now? And this is also confusing. I'll talk about it when we get there. I, I, I do just want to move through this plot. Understandable. Um, but yeah, so he brings up these concerns, and that's kind of the extent of it. Um, and then we end up at uh, the front of the school, and Rick does this very dramatic attempt at thanking Emma for her help um, and calls her his guide. And she's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like, she's just shrugging it off. She's just trying to power through. And Rick then walks off and sees Jimmy in the, in the entrance, in, like, the entrance area of the school. 
And they actually have a really positive interaction. They're talking about, like, how, like, Jimmy's super nervous. And they're trying to be reassuring. And it looks to be, from, as an outsider, a pretty positive interaction. Um, and then as they're having, after they have this interaction, Paige passes her phone as a joke and says that Radich called about his look. And Rick seems to be able to bounce back from it pretty well. Just kind of closes the the um closes the phone in her hand and says that you know take a message take a message all right um oh god and now it's time to whack your brain um whack your apparently brain. the uh host i read this on the wiki page was a host of a children's show that's cute so it's actually cute um oh god i know that so no, then there's just a bunch of, um, the, I mean, it's it, just answering it, trivia it, questions. Yeah. <laughs> it's being streamed at the school. Radich is in his office and there's a stream of it. Um, it's in the school too. So like there's kids in the auditorium, namely there is uh, Jay, Alex and Spinner watching. Rick is doing well. Um, Jimmy is able to, it's basically the way that it's edited. It's like, Rick answers everything, and then Jimmy jumps in for one sports question. <laughs> and Emma and Toby are completely superfluous. All right, right. And then... <laughs> and then... They, they sh oh, my God. They, sh I, they should have just cut to Emma be like, Mama Onu. Oh, that would have been so good. Oh, that would have been so good. I hope Demi is, like, listening to this and smiling. Reset the counter. Right. Oh. This goes out to you, Demi. Um... <laughs> Anyway, um, the last court category for the uh, round is about golf, and Jimmy gives this very panicked look to Rick because why would he know about golf? The King's Game. Uh, and Sorry. So that ties it up. Yeah. Anyway, I'm a professional. I'm moving Rick, through. Rick jumps through and he actually knows it. And then there's the final lightning round that's going to happen. And Rick is going to be the one that goes. And in the heat of the moment, it appears he grabs Emma's hand, but grabs it with such intensity um, and such an extended amount of time, she has to physically like pull his hand off for herself to get freed from him. Yikes on bikes. Right. It's it's really rough to watch. She's very clearly uncomfortable. So then we go to the bathroom. Jimmy asks Rick how he learned everything about everything. And Rick basically says, I've been fucking isolated forever, so I learned a lot of facts. And Jimmy's like, uh, okay. Um, and, you know, they have a little point of connection. They kind of talk about golf. And Jimmy makes a joke about how golf is not a game, uh, not an actual sport. And Spinner and Jay walk in as Jimmy is, uh, walk in, and they are kind of, like, congratulating and asking about the lightning round, and then Jimmy leaves, um, and as Jimmy leaves, Jay is like, yeah, we're cool, and once Rick leaves, um, Jay and Spinner begin talking about the grand plan that they have, and specifically that Jay is really excited by the fact that he dates Alex because it basically means he cannot get caught for shit. Alex can do better. Um, I mean, we know that. <laughs> we know that. Um, Meanwhile, at Joey's, or, yeah, Sydney is, like, appears at Joey's and does the whole, like, you know, ask me to stay type thing, which is, like, 
Sometimes a trope I really like, but when it's people I hate, I can't stand it. But, uh, uh anyway, uh, Joey is like, you know, they're desperate. The whole entire situation's like really dire, and Sid feels really bad about it. Um, and then Joey finally apologizes for how things ended. About fucking time. And Sid just kind of just is like, you know what, I'm just gonna fucking plow through this. She just kind of hits a fugue state and is like, you gotta be able to bake a fucking pie I, so it smells good. I do like the fact that she also shits on the zit, on zit remedy. She does. She's like, you can't fucking play the zit remedy. God, Jesus, fuck, do you know any other music? Fucking hell. Um... He's like, I'll get downtown Sasquatch. And she's like, no. No! The last thing we need is downtown Sasquatch during a fuck phase. No! Anyway. Oh, fuck you, downtown Sasquatch. You're shit fuck, They were fine before. Anyway. Neither here nor there. Um, back at the quiz show. It's time for the tiebreaker. Rick is doing very well. Yeah, um, yeah. He has to kind of meet, you know, has to catch up, close in on the other team. Um, well, also, he does this thing where he, he, uh, when he's going to it, he tells Emma it's all for her, and she looks absolutely uncomfortable. Yeah. It's awful. Um. <laughs> to, to quote Lindsay Ellis, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's bad. Um, and Rick then answers the questions, he gets a question wrong, but then he kind of starts getting back on a high, and then he wins, and Jimmy is really excited, he high-fives him from where he's standing, um, and as... Rick begins to bask in this moment, like, paint kind of just drips down on him. It's like this gross mustard color, and then, like, a couple, like, a dozen feathers just kind of just drop on top of him. Oh, I wouldn't say you're making it sound way less worse than it is, because he gets drenched. Yeah, it's a lot of paint, but not much feathers. The the feather to paint ratio is <laughs> Right? Yeah. Um, and I do, I do like, um, the acting, uh, Drake gives in this scene, mm-hmm. um, where, like, he just looks completely horrified. He does. Like, I, I think it's, I've heard it's really hard to play surprised well. Oh, yeah. But, like, he yeah. goes open mouth, then hand to the mouth, and it just, like, uh It, it speaks to how Jimmy is inherently, like, a good kid. Yeah. Like, he, he's a spiteful kid, which I actually really like about him. Like, I like that he's prone to these, like, you know, things like that. Like, I, I actually really appreciate that he's a kid that can get angry, and we do see him get angry, but I do think that the writers sometimes lose this piece, but I think when they remember it, it really shines, where they remember that, like, you know, yeah, sure, he doesn't handle everything perfectly, but inherently he's a good kid. Yeah. Yeah. When they remember that, I think Jimmy becomes a beautiful, like, fully realized character. And I think this... 100%. Yeah, and, like, this moment, we we begin to... We begin to really, really see it within the context of this episode. Yeah. Um, and it's, like, rough in terms of... I thought the audience reaction was very interesting. Because I think that a lot of the time, when we see really embarrassing moments happen to a character... It's like the whole audience laughs. But this really nailed the fact that, like, it wouldn't necessarily be the whole entire audience. People would be uncomfortable. Not everyone would start laughing. It is, like, a couple laughs kind of cutting in and out. And, like, some of them stopping and then starting up again. Like, it's it's 
ultimately it really only sounded like maybe five separate people were laughing, but I feel like that's actually what it is, especially in the context of teenagers, because it's like, they understand, teenagers understand when something is truly fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, they under, they also, like, you know, understand nuance enough to be like, yeah, I'm laughing, but also this is a piece of shit that this is happening to. Yeah. Right. Um, we cut... Well, Emma approaches him as they're, like, as he's, like, zooming out, and he tries to reiterate, like, she tries to be like, hey, like, you're really smart, and, you know, like, people won't forget who won, and she tries to spin it just so that it's a positive type of situation, and as she's doing that, he kind of lunges over at her and forces himself on her. And I just, I just want to highlight what he says. They ruined it, Emma. They're life ruiners. Everyone laughing. And yet, it is horrible watching him, like, do that. Yeah, and it's like, the way that he does, it looks like maybe he's trying to kiss her mouth, and then she's ducking away, and then in the process, he looks like he's just trying to go for, like, kissing her neck or something like that. Like, the fact that, like, it's just like he was so fucking determined the body language of the of it is like very clunky and very disturbing quite frankly um it's really fucked up and she you know she pulls away from him she has like some of the splotches of the yellow paint on her shirt now she's wearing like a light colored shirt and you know he he says like you know i thought it was love and she's just like it was pity like, she just fucking comes clean and, like, you know, no no fluffing it up whatsoever. She's like, no, I, there was no no love here. There was nothing. I felt bad for you. That is why. And to be fair, that was consistent. She felt bad that all the retaliation was being toward him in such a way. And it wasn't... She didn't necessarily excuse his behavior, except for that weird thing that she had interacting with him, like, earlier in the episode. The, the tide turned because she felt that the violence was too much, not necessarily because Rick was not deserving of that violence. Yeah. I mean, but she also did kiss him last episode. She did. And that was also awful. Yeah. <clears throat> so. so meanwhile, we're at Joey's, and as Joey is cleaning up, Caitlin arrives! By the way, I can say... I'm, I'm just gonna fucking say this. Like, only... Like, this type of myopic white person can possibly be like, Hi, I surprised you because there's conflict in Haiti and I can't work on my AIDS documentary! Oh god. There are no words. What?! It's like, surprise, I got a new haircut! Also, I'm an asshole still. And... So, we're just going to gloss over, Caitlin's just going to gloss over that by being like, why is Sydney's name on your lawn? Right, right. I'm going to, you know, not talk about how I was, uh, you know, how I was caught up in in this crisis, and uh, why the fuck is Sydney's name on a for sale sign? What the fuck? Alright, and boom, back to Rick's house. Right, so. This is a haunting scene. This truly is. It, it really fucked me up because Rick just kind of like pokes his head inside, asks if his mother and father are present. They are not. He takes a deep breath. He kind of goes into the closet 
Um, he pulls out his family's gun, and he removes his glasses, and the freeze frame is, like, as he's looking up at the camera. It's absolutely chilling. Yeah. It's absolutely chilling. It's, um, it's rough. It, it's a very rough scene. It makes you kind of realize how, how far things are have escalated. Um, and, like... There's a lot of lead-up in this episode. They have this very specific, ominous kind of uh, vamp that they have during the end of a lot of the scenes with Rick in this episode. It's very deliberate, and there's a sense of foreboding throughout it. But at the end of the day, I feel like there's always this power in, like, seeing that there's a fucking gun. Like, it's not just... It's not just, like, oh, they're gonna have a fight. Oh, like, you know... Or even, like... Not to discredit, like, the pain of someone dying by suicide or anything like that, but, like, it makes you realize that it's like, oh, a lot of people are going to be involved in this. Yeah. This this is not... Because, like, in many ways, like, you hear him make these these talks, and we should probably put a content warning for suicidal ideation. He does make passive comments that basically, like, not particularly, like, seeing himself being alive anytime soon. Like, not seeing himself having a job and things like that. Like They they ruined my life. Yeah, like, they ruined my life. Like, he sees his life is over. Um, And in many ways, like, you know, that's usually the traditional beats of a suicide plot. As as terrible as it sounds, kind of reducing it. Like, you know, if you've watched enough of those plots, especially in teen drama, it goes the similar route. But then you see the gun and you, you know, you kind of really begin to realize in, in the way that Rick, especially I think the way that Rick looks at the audience in that last shot, you know kind of where this is heading. The right. fact The fact that it's almost like... like I, go on, please. No, go ahead. Oh, I like, was... I think just the sheer fact of, like, that last sort of look at the camera sort of signifies... You sort of know that this is going to a him definitely taking it to school for him thinking of, like, a potential just personal final like I think that's when the, the the shifts for the audience and just sort of that like all of those cues kind of forming like going one way instead of another yeah this could definitely have been like it lead into a suicide plot but I just think just how ominous this entire episode had been like by the end of it you sort of know exactly where it's going yeah, exactly. It's it's absolutely true. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's uh, that freeze frame, I feel like, was an example of when the Degrassi freeze frame really fucking works. I think sometimes it's a little kitschy and kind of silly and, and doesn't really, really get to the point of the episode or whatnot, but this one in particular, I think, was one of the best examples of it. It's like yeah. this and the end of hol- and a Holiday, um... Whichever one has Craig holding Ashley and saying, I love you. Oh, God, while looking at Manny. <sighs> I forgot the name of that episode, but I agree. Um, fuck. Anyway, that's the end of the episode, which is really fu- fucking like rough. All right, so let's move on to episode two. Um, so we have a brief moment where we see Rick opening up the gun box again, and then we jump to the picnic tables in front of the school, in which Toby... And is uh, with JT and Emma and I'm not sure if they're with anybody else off the top of my head. 
to be honest. It's Emma, Toby, JT, and Danny. Danny. Right. Danny. God. Um, so they're at the picnic tables, and Toby um, is kind of, they're all, like, talking about, like, what to do about the cable, because the cable, there was, like, a cable, local cable company people there recording the trivia. Yeah. And um, they were talking about, like, whether or not it will get aired, and if it gets aired, are they going to show Rick's whole Emma says they can't air the quiz show, Toby. Yeah, like, she's of the mindset that they can't show it. Toby's of the mindset that they could, but they just have to make sure they edit it to the last possible second. And JT is just dunking on the whole fucking situation. Um... Yeah, and Rick is approaching. He still has paint and feathers on him. Yep. Um, and Toby's like, why is he back? I should go talk to him. Yeah, and he's like hugging his backpack. Yeah. And Emma is like, go, says, go right ahead. Yeah, Emma has no interest in engaging with Rick at this point. Um, which, why should she? Um, and Toby takes the time to approach, uh, to approach him and it's basically like, hey, like, you've just gone through a really traumatizing thing. You can go home. Like, nobody's going to judge you. Raj is not going to judge you. Nobody is going to be mad at you. Maybe the demon found Basil. Or maybe she's finding it because she's running back and forth for her tail poofed out. Yep. Um. Um, but uh, <laughs> but um, anyway, he's trying to say basically, like, you can take the day off. Like, you just had a really rough experience. Like, don't try and push yourself. Um... And he then also, like, you know, he says, like, Raj will figure this out. And Rick says, like, Toby, this is one the one time I actually want to be at school, which is the most ominous fucking line I've ever heard in this whole fucking series. It's terrifying. It's utterly terrifying. 100%. Um, and then we go to class, and Radich has, like, a video message that is being shown to this classes in which he's just shaming the school about their actions relating to Rick and that, you know, whoever gets caught, there will be consequences and all that type of stuff. And Quan is kind of scoping out Alex and Jay as they're kind of, you know, gesturing and talking a bit about the situation. Um... And, because, you know, she's a teacher. She she notices that something is off. And as she turns back toward the TV, Toby enters this room, and he then, you know, gets kind of caught up into the class side of things. Quan kind of transitions. And then JT is, like, really fucking brutal because he says that Rick should get the hint, should take the hint and leave, and then specifically says, like, Toby is going to find have to find a new gamer freak friend. A geek friend, excuse me. It's very interesting because it's like, we know that this tension between JT and Toby has existed for a while. I would have been really interested to see how Rick was a cause of their relationship to decay further. Well, I think it's just, like, after that whole episode where, um, Toby basically tried to, um, undercut JT, I think they've just been on the outs since then. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I'm sure 
in JT's mind, the whole penis pump situation is also kind of, um, um, like, he would think of it as Toby and Danny's fault. Yeah. Then we cut to the basketball courts. Yep. Where Spinner and Jimmy are playing basketball. And Spinner is just like, oh man, this was so funny. Um, and Jimmy is defending Rick. And he's just like, why don't you cut this shit out? Like, why, why you, like... You know, he's like, Rick's not that bad, and, like, I kind of disagree with you on that one, Jimmy. Um, mm-hmm. And just, like, he's basically like, you went too far. Like, yeah. You, like, you know, and then... Uh, Spinner is fucking... Ugh, homophobia. What kind of person does that? Spinner, one, a genius, um, and two, if you rat on me, and Jimmy... Jimmy comes back to him so fucking hard that I love... But before you go too hard into that, I think it's also worth mentioning the the way that Spinner mocks Jimmy for showing any kindness toward Rick. Because, like, while that could have inherently have been Spinner having a moment of being like, why are you being nice to him? Do you not remember what he did to Terry? Spinner takes a route of homophobia in which he just kind of nuzzles Jimmy... Um, and as he, like, nuzzling him, he's, like, referring to Rick as, like, chicken boy or whatever. And he's just, like, basically, like, insinuating that the issue is not that Jimmy is showing sympathy toward a person who doesn't deserve it, but that his sympathy can be construed as this, like, homoerotic tone to make him feel, like, you know, to, to make Jimmy feel bad about the situation. What? Now that you mentioned that, like you get, I wonder if you can kind of pinpoint when the bullying of Rick stopped being about Terry. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like Terry, Terry was the excuse they used at the beginning, but now yeah. it's just like he's weak. Let's pick on him. Yeah, there's right. there is a shift, and it's it's hard to make sense of because it is it is one of those things where it's like on one hand. How much should the plot really go in this direction? On the other hand, um, it is something to kind of think about of, it could be, and I don't really feel like, I don't remember this ever really being discussed, so I'm going to say it's kind of a missed opportunity, but I think it could have been a bigger lesson for that group of kids about like, when does somebody's pain become your own, but, and when is that like an unhealthy and unproductive. Unproductive, I think it is. Like, when is taking on somebody's pain unproductive? When does it warp you and warp your values and turn you into something that puts you not on par with a piece of shit like Rick, but not necessarily in in the right anymore? Because I think, And I think that's a real struggle that people in general experience, not just kids. Because it's like, spite is such a real emotion we experience, and as much as we want to do what's right for our friends and things like that, sometimes we do cross lines, we do say things that are horrible about somebody else, and we do end up in situations in which we are attacking more than really having productive conversation. But I don't think this was necessarily the place to have that. Yeah. 
I think that would have been like sup that would have been like for example I think it would have been a good time to do that would have been like Spinner cheated on Paige with Manny and then Jimmy Hazel and everyone kind of took it upon themselves to make Spinner feel like shit about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because this one, this one's like such a, it's such a complicated and touchy situation. Yeah. That like, I feel like maybe if they didn't take this route with Rick's plot, then that would have been something that they could have fit in. But I think like knowing that the way that it ends is, yeah, I, I don't know how they would have done the, the aftermath. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, I think the use of touchy in this context, Jazz, is, like, absolutely it. It's it's an incredibly touchy type of situation. Um, exactly. it, it was something that I think is a product of its time in many ways and our understanding and how the media portrayed school shootings. It's There's a lot of stuff happening in here, and it's, it's actually an incredibly complex episode to talk about. Yeah. Far more complicated than I really thought it would be. But, um, we'll keep moving forward. Um, we are, so they have the fight, they, Spinner does this homophobic gesture, um, and then Jimmy and Spinner, like, truly throw down. Um, like I said, I just want to, like, Jimmy is, points out that he's, um, not afraid at all of Spinner. And, yeah. like, I'll just read the line. What? No, really, what are you gonna do? Yeah, that's what I thought. Look, save the bully crap for someone who won't fight back, and you better do something about it now before I do. Which... Yeah. <sighs> Honorable move, Jimmy. <laughs> like, and Armstrong, once again, being just the best teacher, just yells, hey, hey, save it for the game after their fight. Right, right, like, what game? What sport? <laughs> Kendra disappears. Sports were mentioned, and I have arrived. Um, cut back to the who cares plot. Um, Caitlin's like Caitlin's dealing with the fact that Joey is selling his house. Um, which Caitlin, I think you could guess that by seeing Sydney's name on the thing. I don't think you just said Sydney outside. Right. <laughs> right, like, it's not, like, property of Sydney. No, it says Sydney's <laughs> fucking realtor to contact. Here's a headshot. God damn it. Um, so, Joey says, we don't need this much space. Like, we can move to a smaller place. And Caitlin's like, but you love this place. You know, um... And he's like, yeah, but I can't keep both. I need to save the dealership. I still don't know how this is going to save the dealership. Right, right. Um, like, uh, I feel like... I can't believe Stella. Right. Like, uh, I don't know, man. Make yourself at home. Maybe you need an accountant. <laughs> okay, now I'm just imagining that Joey runs the dealership the way um, fucking Aziz Ansari and... That other dude ran entertainment 24-7 or whatever the fuck it was. Where they're like, we have, like, a picture of a boat just going nonstop. <laughs> like, um, I don't want to get too far in the weeds. Yep. 
But it's just like it. Like I don't understand this concept like at all of how this selling the house is going to stay at the dealership. Because it's like that drill tweet where it's like, "Can somebody who's good at the economy help me?" It's like, it's like vintage guitar, ten thousand dollars. Buy less vintage guitars. No. <laughs> Um, so anyway, they're in the cafeteria now, Rick is still wandering around, um, uh, Paige comes up to him and is like, I know, like, so, okay, I'm just, I'm just gonna start reading the lines, cause fuck it, look, mm-hmm. I know we're not exactly best friends, but I wanted to say that I thought the whole pain for this job was sickening, it was really childish, and Rick finally says, and like, ugh, this is the part where I just started, like, getting just, like, chills. Because mm-hmm. he starts reaching into his bag for the gun. It's terrifying. You straight up see him holding the gun. Like, okay. it's no ambiguity. And I just also want to say that everybody in my life, including my sister, who never watched Degrassi, knew what was about to happen. Yeah. I had no fucking clue about this episode and Frank, somehow. This is why you had to be the co-host of the show. This is exactly why. When you when you yeah. I'm going to I'm going to, you know, go behind the curtain for a second. When you said that you knew absolutely nothing, I was like, "Okay, you can be the co-host of the show." Like if anyone had said anything like if you had said to me, "You knew Rick, uh, you knew like Rick shot Jimmy." I would have been I would have not gone in. I would have been like, "No, you're not." No. Like, it would not work. I, I'm like, like, even knowing a hint of a school shooting subplot, like... Yeah. Well, here's the... Th- and here's the thing. I Like, at one point, after one of our recordings, Gray <laughs> said the words, wheelchair Jimmy. <laughs> and I hadn't thought about that in months. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it just started flashing back to all the times our guests had let slip what happened. And I'm just like, oh, no, no. Like, because I... I was texting Donnie in real time as I was And Donnie watching. was ignoring you because he was too busy writing Fire Emblem fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually I was at a festival. I was at a hard excuse me, I was at a hard cider festival where I was drunkenly talking about my Fire Emblem. <laughs> Go on. Like I mean the tech, like it's not like there's any deep bomb mods. It's just like I'm so like I'm like I'm so unhappy that Jay and Spinner are together. I'm just I think I said Jesus Christ when, like... Let me pull up. I can pull it up. Would you like me to pull it up? Because I will. Sure. Um, so I am drunkenly at a apple cider, hard apple cider festival. I am having the time of my life because I am talking about my current favorite thing, which is my Fire Emblem ship. And as this is happening, I get text messages within the 2 o'clock hour um, when I am very contently buzzed and crying. Um... And I get, oh good, Sean and Jay have teamed up. I mean, Spinner and Jay. Oh, come on. Oh, dear God. Oh, and fuck these two. No, 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 no! Jimmy! Sean! (laughs) Finally, at, well, two posts. 2.47 p.m. This episode legit got me. And then a post at... Um, then the next post, I did not respond because I was... I was too busy in Fire Emblem Hell. And then on no... On... September 1st at 7.43 in the morning, I get a picture of Aizawa transitioning from his fucking sleeping bag into a full yellow bodysuit shape like a sleeping bag. 
Well, I thought it had posted the whole comic. Apparently, the comic was two pictures because the comic is then just him in his yellow sleeping bag cocoon, and then he emerges wearing butterfly wings. Oh, that's really good. And uh, Aurora is just laughing her ass off and imagining it. That's really fucking good. Actually, that's really cute, but it's really funny in contrast to everything else because I was an asshole who was legitimately. <laughs> Too drunk on Fire Emblem and Hard Apple Cider to possibly enable you. And, and the thing was, Donnie was coming over to my house later that night. And <laughs> That's I, true. I was just, I was getting worried about you at that point because oh, you no. hadn't responded in more than 24 hours. <laughs> no, I was literally just like, I can't even say because it's spoilers for the game and this episode comes out still way too frequently to when it came out, but, like, I was just like, man, it's fucked up that blank happens. I can't believe redacted happens. I can't believe they're in love. Frank's, like, having a meltdown via text. God. Just, just literally, like, two people interacting but having completely different conversations and experiences. Right? <laughs> Never been a better fucking example. <laughs> So, oh, God. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry for the diversions. This is a very important scene. But it is. But, like, it's... Well, even then, it's just... Please, please just forgive our levity here and there. We do need to keep it loose so that, like, we don't fall into the pit of despair. Right. We'll literally burst into tears over this episode unless I can get one or two nuts in. Right, yeah. like if it means that I have to, you know, confess to my my, you know, lack of support toward my friend during a time of need, I'll do it. I'll tarnish my character. I don't give a fuck. Um, I do give a fuck, please. <laughs> anyway, um, this scene, I I do remember this scene even as a kid. Um, I haven't talked much about this episode as a kid. This was one of those episodes that I did remember very distinctly, and I think I watched it quite a bit as a kid because at the time. And once again, we'll talk more about the cultural significance of this episode later. But it's definitely one of those episodes that just, like, as a kid is very captivating because how much media is really talking about this in such plain terms. Um, there's just not that much. You can also venture to say, of the ones that exist, this is one of the stronger ones. And I would say that. I don't love every bit of this episode, but I would say it's one of the more nuanced takes on this type of situation. Um, but I remember being absolutely captivated by it. And at the time, I do remember being a kid and everyone being really, um, just truly rocked by the fact that this show, for lack of better terms, goes there. Like, it, yeah. it was a big fucking deal at the time that this episode was doing this. And it was something that made teenage Donnie very intrigued by the show because it, it was talking about things that I was not seeing being discussed in a lot of the shows that I watched as a kid and and I feel like that kind of goes back to that pure sense of like why Degrassi as a series when it's good is so successful because it does provide perspective and it does provide um, content of topics that we as teenagers desperately want and desperately need, but don't necessarily see. Um, and this was a very good example of an episode that was able to kind of swoop in and be, and, you know, say it. And it's interesting because on one, like, 
Degrassi is interesting because it feels like it takes these topics broad enough that it doesn't come off as like this topic of the week type of situation that I think a lot of teen dramas run into. I would even say a lot of procedurals run into, a lot of shows run into where it's like, it's almost like, like, I keep thinking of like, kind of like, like hyper specific examples of like, weird tall tales kind of like rainbow parties and shit like that where it's like oh yeah but you know what i mean it's like the shows are like oh we gotta talk about this and it's like yeah like they take a sensationalized topic that's like super being talked about in media or something or just like parents fears that really have no true basis in reality they're making a tv show that's why not Exactly. It's like they take these kind of these fears that the parents have and turn them into plots as opposed to they take as opposed to what I think Degrassi does a lot of the time, which is taking these topics that are relevant to teenagers that do unfortunately happen to teenagers and then putting them into plots. Like if it feels like they are actually very good at and I think this is why topics like the self-harm with Ellie and and a lot of the abuse plots that we've seen I think this is why they land so much because they're going no this is relevant because kids are experiencing this as opposed to no this is relevant because these are the parents fears and we want to teach kids to not to like not do it right there's this resignation almost when you when when Degrassi says okay we're going to do a plot like this in many ways it's accepting that this is a thing that is happening and this is a thing that teenagers are going through and whether we like it or not we we have an obligation to talk about it so that kids have a, a space to make sense of it yeah i 100 agree yeah this is the most positive thing i'm gonna say about degrassi this whole fucking podcast <laughs> <laughs> but um he yeah so this exchange with Paige, there's so much tension you become very scared um, it's very good at making you not quite know. And I think this is also, like, it's such a high-stakes moment for Degrassi. It's not like Grey's Anatomy, where it's, like, literally every season finale, a hellmouth opens up in fucking Seattle, and everything horrible happens, and somebody's gonna die, we just, as a matter of who. Like, in the case of this, the stakes have never been higher in Degrassi. This is legitimately the highest in terms of, like, the mass amount of people who could potentially be targeted, and there's so much fear, you don't quite know what Degrassi, what the writers are going to do in terms of this. Like, who is going to be taken out? I don't know. Is it going to be Paige? Is it going to be, you know, any of the other people that we've seen? And the show has shown us it doesn't, not a lot of, nobody's safe. No. Kind of, like... If someone, if a yeah. character's not working, they're cutting that character. Yeah. I mean, you don't want that character to be Paige or, like, you know, some of your principal characters. Well, I mean, even... Well, what I mean is, like, even without... um, Even without cutting them, like, this show has done very shitty things to Paige and Manny. Yeah. Terry. Yeah. And Craig. (laughs) Right. Like, a lot of these characters have been through a whole lot of shit. Um, So the idea... I feel like the stakes... It's it's weird. It's like it's almost like they've been incrementally raising the stakes to a point in a way that almost like intentionally, so that the lead up to this, you you feel that tension because you're legitimately like, well, every other fucking shitty thing has happened to these characters. Why wouldn't they get shot? Yeah. Um. Thankfully, you know, this situation with Paige, he 
you know, he apologizes for hurting Terry, kind of just kind of puts the gun back into the bag, and she walks off, and she's safe. And then we see Rick putting the bag and his jacket in the lock in his locker. Yeah, and, and this is where I think also this scene is very difficult for me, because on one hand, I think it is a very well-done scene. The tension is it's absolutely terrifying in it. On the other hand, does this also fall into that weird space that we occupy in terms of this episode in which we have this conflicting viewpoints of what we now perceive as school shooters and that past narrative that came out post-Columbine of like, you should be nice to people so that they don't fucking kill you. Yeah. And it's hard because I think that it's a hard scene to rectify in that sense. On one hand, it's a very good tension-based scene. It's very scary. The stakes are very high. Um, also, you know, Paige should not have to inadvertently save herself because she takes accountability for, for like, well, she doesn't take accountability for her actions, but she is, like, apologizing and showing sympathy. Right, and I think there's no harm in recognizing, like, how well this episode does certain things from just, like, a pure narrative perspective like yeah. it does certain shots well it builds tension really well while also recognizing that, yeah the actual things that is are really not good things and would absolutely not fly in an episode like about the same sort of thing in 2019 so i think like there's no real conflict in you saying like both of those things thank you i appreciate it <laughs> no problem thanks um but um, so we cut to Sydney's. Um, do you have anything else? No, that's I, it. I mean, I've kind of just gone off. Um, we cut to Sydney's office, and I'm like, Caitlin Kay- appears again. Um, I, Caitlin's there to buy, and she does buy Joey's house. Um, and like Sydney's like, I, it was just Craig asked me to do this. I wanted to help. That's it. And you know they call it good. Um, I do want to point out that Sydney does one of my favorite things, which is instead of saying, "Oh, nice to see you," she just <laughs> she just states a fact. Caitlin, you're here, um, right? And um, so Caitlin buys Joey's house, um, and that's it. Scene ends. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's keep moving it on. Yep. Um... So we end up in the bathroom. Rick is washing his face. Um, as he's washing his face, he realizes there's no to- there's no paper towels. And then he goes to toward a bathroom stall to use toilet paper. I actually like the very little moment where he's like looking at the rolls and realizing there's like not like they're not usable. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that little moment where he's like, oh fuck, and then he like walks into the toilet uh, to the uh, bat stall. God fuck, um, and then. Rick hears the door open, kind of recognizes that uh, Jay and Spinner are entering, and he just kind of slips into the stall, closes the door. Um, And also, once again, this tension builds in a very specific way, because, like, they, because Spinner and Jay scope out that there is paint and feathers left in the sink, and then they also recognize that Rick's, shoe they can see rick's shoe from the stall um and jay because this is just the way jay is and he's always going to shift blame 
he's just straight up pinning it on Jimmy, like, instantaneously. He's like, oh, yeah, Jimmy did this. Like, oh, yeah, it's totally Jimmy. And trying to coax Spinner along in, in this lie. Um, and they just 100% blame the incident on Jimmy, saying that he was on the inside, he was the one that caused this. Um, and then they make their way out, and as they make their way out, um, Rick does this very scary kind of slow opening of the stall and appearing from it. Yeah. <sighs> Once again, tension is so technically amazing at this part. I feel like this whole entire sequence, like scene for scene, the tension is held very, very, very well. Like, it low-key sucks because, like, a lot of the just direction and, like, the way this episode is shot is, like, low-key, like, a very good horror movie. Like, if the it subject is. were anything else, we would be, like, over the moon over, like, building tension and establishing X, Y, and Z. But just the sheer fact that, like, you know something bad is going to happen to these characters that I have grown to love and connect with is just, like, terrifying. It is. It's... Yeah, like, it's it's one of those things where I, I mean, I have re- I don't even know how many times I've watched this episode at this point in my life, and it is still scary. Like, it's one of, like, I feel like that's when you know something is technically good, when you know how it's going to end, and yet you are still terrified. Yeah. So, we end up in the hallway again, and we see Rick holding his backpack, and we are going, oh, shit! He brought back, he's gotten his gun again, and he approaches Jimmy, and Jimmy is just so sympathetic, and he's trying really hard to, um, trying to connect with, with Rick, and saying that, you know, he has his back, and he'll take care, like, you know, he'll do what he can to help take care of this situation, and Rick just promptly whips out his gun, and Jimmy's reaction to it is actually very fascinating to me in the sense that like he doesn't freeze he starts backing away he doesn't know if it's real or not yeah he asks if it's real and just keeps backing away and we kind of see that he has like a sheen of sweat on him and rick says the whole time you pretend to be my friend you made me do this and breaks my heart because I think Jimmy realizes because Jimmy is just like shaking his head ever so slightly like yeah no I, I didn't and it's right. just but I think he, he kind of like the way he was acting I kind of felt like Jimmy knew there was no getting out of this yes so there's, he, there's this strange it's almost like mentally he's resigned He's physically, he's trying to still get himself out of danger. It's like his body is reacting, but his mind has already accepted it. Yeah. And I think that's what I find fascinating about the reaction. It's not a deer in the headlights type of reaction. It's a, his body is kind of like, his, his fight or flight is kicking in. And the, his body is doing one thing and his mind has already accepted that he may not end up alive after this. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's, Pointed to Jimmy as a character because, yes. like, I feel like that makes sense for him as what he would do because Jimmy's Jimmy's an action guy, and so like that being not only ingrained in his personality but like him being a sports 
I don't know. Jimmy just seems like the type of to be that one that would a hundred percent like flee in the face of danger and like any sort of deer to headlight response is just completely like learned. So I also think this is like Loki really good characterization for Jimmy's part. Like I, I feel like the way that they had him react to it is very realistic. I 100% agree. It just, it really suits him as a character. It speaks a lot to his, like, inherent self. It's just, it's, it shows that there was thought put into it. Because I also feel like sometimes, and this is just the nature of TV, I don't really think there's a solution for this, but, like, whenever we have big dramatic moments like this, a lot of the time we have contracts spoiled, we kind of know who's going to be potentially going out. Who, who needs to have their contract renewed or not. And we kind of anticipate who this is going to impact. And because of it, there's this weird... It almost feels like because everything is falling into place, they're almost like, yeah, we gotta get rid of this character, fuck it, whatever. And, and the send-off is never quite what you want it to be. And it's not even in a way of, like, tragedy happens and sometimes things are uneventful and, and that's just what happens. Like, sometimes people just fucking die. In, the, in, in this case, it really felt like they were like, hey, like, let's really consider how this character is going to potentially confront their death. How is this unique to him? That's, it's kind of, I've, I've heard, you know, and as a writer, I believe it, like, that's, what, that's supposed to be when you find out who a character, who somebody is. Yeah. Like, is like, what is, what do they do with their last moments? Yeah. Um, it just reminds me of, spoiler for Pelstar Galactica, when Adama thinks, like, I can't do this, we're about to die, he just looks at his men and says, it's been an honor. Yeah. Like, and Jimmy just sees his death and tries to get away from it, and he just can't. Yeah. And he gets shot in, um, he gets shot in the back as Rick shoots him with his eyes closed. Yep. And... <laughs> I'm, I'm not laughing. I'm laughing because I know I'm about to start crying. Understandable. <laughs> but it's just, hmm. it's just like he goes down screaming, and yeah. like then just falls quiet, and that's what. Oh god. And that's god, when Craig so sees him. Right. Well, there's so much I I want to unpack on this. Number one, I found the sound editing of this scene to be fascinating, because I think a lot of the time when we have shootings. The, the, the habit for editing is to just take out the volume entirely. But what this episode does is it goes in and out. It, it, you hear the gunshot, the volume kind of drops, the volume comes back, the volume drops. It, it's not a consistent decision to just either have all of the sound or none of the sound. And I actually found that to be very effective in the sense that like it was very like, it almost kind of gave it this, is this real or not kind of quality. Like, is this actually canonically happening? Is this, like, you know, is this some sort of, like, twist of some sort? It it makes you, as an audience member, kind of be like, I don't quite entirely know what is reality in this moment. And then once the sound kicks back in, once Craig is there, you realize, no, absolutely, this is real. It's very well done. Yeah. Also, shout out to every fucking mentally ill character in this who saw a gun and went, well, I guess I'm here. Um, right. Like, wow, what a mood. 
because because Craig does not just run away. He recognizes that Jimmy is the one who's shot, and he's he's in place. He does not just run off. I, I hope there's a deleted scene with like Craig trying to help Jimmy. Yeah, I hope we. I mean, I'm sure there are. I don't know the deleted scene situation from the season, but we will definitely take a look at them and see because. Um, that kind of felt like it was a slightly incomplete note because he's there. He recognizes that Jimmy is there. Um, unless the purpose was for him to kind of be the one to kind of spread the word un- unintentionally or not that like Jimmy was the one that was shot. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, to be fair, like, especially, like, most people, unless you're just well-versed in, in just sort of, like, gunshot wounds, like, you see a person with a gun you see another not gonna lie my first thought is to assume that there's dead and there's nothing i can do so right next best course of act yeah flee the scene try and spread the word as much as possible to at least prevent it from getting worse. yeah it's it's rough it's the whole thing's fucking rough <sighs> but um yeah so poof um, so we have that whole entire thing happen. Um, you see people just running through the halls. Yeah, people's response is just to run. Um, and as this is all happening, um, Emma, Sean, and Toby approach the hall, and Rick is standing there. He has the gun. They see that he has the gun. Okay, so. Let me just, I'm just going to set up the scene. Yeah. Like, there was kind of this partition that Rick shot Jimmy through. Mm-hmm. And it looks like he's, Rick's about to take a step forward. Sean, Toby, and Emma are coming in perpendicular to Rick. And he kind of, I guess, sees them out of the corner of his eye because he turns towards them. Yeah. Um, and Rick says, hi, Emma. Sorry I kissed you. Sean immediately sees the gun, and it's just like, he's got a gun, we need to go now. Yeah, this is very fascinating, because I think Craig's response is, like, one way an abuse survivor reacts, and I think Sean's is a very specific way that an abuse survivor reacts, because while I don't necessarily know if this is a kid who has had to face, like, a gun, you can tell that he has had to face some fucked up shit. Right. It had to be Sean to be the one to kind of confront Rick in this one, because I don't think many kids would have had this response. Yeah. um... It's extraordinarily rough, and it's very interesting because I feel like a lot of Sean's trauma is based on inference as a viewer. We don't have as much plain language about it like we do with Craig, Um, but I feel like in this moment, everything kind of fell into place for me. Yeah, because Sean... Um, tries to get Toby and Emma moving. Yeah. And Rick yells at them to not turn away from him. Yeah, and he raises his voice, which we've seen him do before. Yeah, right before. Right. Um, and, Sh- like, Sean... <laughs> Sean has this moment of just, like, oh, fuck me. Right. I have to deal with this. That's and, the thing, though. There is, I feel like, with Craig... There's a certain resignation. I think with Sean, it's very evident there is this resignation of, like, 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 same shit, different day type of thing. Like, Sean is 
telling him to stop, like, you know, to put the gun down, let's talk about this, let's, like, you know, let's, let's not have it escalate in this way. And it reads to me very similarly to, it, it almost feels like we're supposed to read it in a way like this is a conversation that he's probably had with his parents. Yeah. Or some, like, some other friend. Yeah, like, somebody else. I mean, we saw the brief moments of him trauma bonding with Craig and things like that. Like, I'm sure he has had a lot of really fucked up shit he's had to deal with both within his family and outside of his family. And all things considered, like, the whole reason he's here at Degrassi is because of violence. Yep. Like, he deafened a kid in, like... Right. in, In one of his ears, like... Cool. Um, and Rick, Toby like says, "What are you doing, Rick?" Oh, um, Rick says to Emma, "You made my list." Yeah. Um. And uh, Sean keeps moving closer to him. Yeah. Trying to reason with him, and I was just. Absolutely horrified that Sean was going to get shot. <laughs> right, right. Because it's like, Sean is one of those characters where um, he's not the A-list. He, he's kind of more of a B-list in terms of who has A-plots and things like that. So, like, you could make an argument that Sean could be more disposable versus, like, Emma. And, well, here's, and you know, you know what really breaks my heart about this scene? What? Sean is forced to confront this, Sean's done nothing to Rick. Yep. 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 (laughs) Because, let's be real, that's probably what a lot of his childhood was like, him having to to deal with this shit. Like, like even with the Yellow Yellow Ribbon campaign, he fucking made fun of Emma for it. He's like, you guys are heroes for this. Right. Like, I'm sure he doesn't care for Rick after hearing what happened to Terry. Absolutely not. But, like, I'm sure he's like, this is fucking stupid. This is awful. Well, I also think that the way that he he talks to him and says, like, you know, you don't, like, look, shit will get even worse. Like, things are bad now, but, like, they're a little bit more manageable than if you continue to escalate this. Like, it's, it's a very, like, he says, like, we'll figure this all out. And, and there's something about this, the fact that he can transition so quickly into a fixer is so devastating to me because that speaks to me to the extent, in so many ways speaks to the extent of the abuse that he has gone through. Right. Like for him to be so young, but to to already have the language to try and talk down someone who is clearly out to hurt people is just heartbreaking. Absolutely. Like, I don't think I picked up on this as a kid, but I picked... Oh, yeah, definitely I, not. Fuck, I picked up on it as an adult. Like, I was... that. This was the part of the episode that I think... As a kid, I think the thing with Paige really affected me. I think as an adult, this was the part that truly affected me. The fact that, like, he is trying so hard to talk down, and he just jumps into it. He doesn't run away. He doesn't back away like Jimmy does. Not to say that that's a bad response. Sean looks at the trauma and, and just kind of dives into it, much like Craig does not run away when he sees Jimmy get shot. It's it, Obviously, it's not analogous. They haven't gone through this exact same situation, but I think it really speaks to how, like, trauma brain fucks with you, and you're like, yeah, okay, I'll keep myself in this dangerous situation. Sure. Right. Let's just walk straight towards the danger, because these two people clearly can't do anything in this situation, so I guess 
fun. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but the worst part of it is just when he points the gun at Emma. Right. And like, then Sean is just so, is just so fucking brave in this moment. Right. He just dives into it. He just is fucking, he fucking grabs Rick. They have like a, kind of like a, like he tackles Rick. He has kind of like a tossle. Toby's yelling at them to stop. And the gun drop, uh, the gun goes off, and there's this very ambiguous moment where they both look absolutely stunned. You can't tell who got shot. If any, either of them got shot, there's no blood, there's no anything like that. Um, there, there's just a shot of, like, Sean's horrified face, and then they just both fall out of the frame. Yeah, like, they both look horrified, and then they fall out of the frame. And it, I thought it was pretty well done, because I think that... There is this temptation when gunshots are involved to have splatters of blood and shit like that. And it's a very tame episode in terms of gore, in terms of blood, in terms of that type of stuff. And instead really forces the actors to really, like, to really fucking show their stuff in terms of, like, how they deal with, how these characters are going to deal with this situation. It doesn't lean into... A char- like an innocent character watching as a blood splatters across their face or anything like that. It, it it instead focuses so much on like their faces and their body language and how they're processing the situation as it's happening. Um, then we cut to outside the school. We hear Radish on the loudspeaker telling people to stay in their classrooms. Um, go to the ambulances lockdown. are here. Police are here. Go to go to lockdown <laughs> procedure. Mama Kerwin tries to barge through, says that she is Toby's stepmother, that gives her clearance to get in. As she's getting in, the most devastating fucking thing, she looks and she sees Jimmy being carted out. Why don't they mention Ashley? I think, I'm wondering if, um, it's hard, the time is kind of weird, but I think the rationale was that because Toby was directly involved in what was going on, I wonder if somebody called her because of his involvement as opposed to hey you got a daughter that's at the school that this is happening at because it looked like she was coming in because she was told that she could come in so i think what we're supposed to read from that is that she was notified to enter yeah doesn't quite work i feel like with the timeline of when jimmy gets out of the school but whatever yeah because um, as Mama Kerwin is about to enter, she sees Jimmy being pushed out on a stretcher. Yeah. And at this point, I am full sobbing. Right. And then meanwhile, at the dot? Me- meanwhile, back at the ranch. Right. Um, Joey and Caitlin are talking about how Joey's house sold in a day 10% above market value. Right. And Joey realizes Caitlin bought his house. And this is the point I was going to make before, that this is fucking stupid. Because, like, Caitlin, when she gets back, they're going to become a two-paycheck household. Like, Joey just had to survive another, like, what, six months? Right. Like, how bad are you at, like, accounting, Joey? Like... Pretty bad. uh, And, like, then he's just, like, he says, oh... Uh, oh wait! You just bought a house in Riverdale. I'm guessing that's his house. Like I, I thought at first it meant that she had bought her own house, but 
this whole thing is confusing, and it all just leads up to Caitlin's cell phone goes off. Um, and she's like, she's horrified, and she says to Joey, we need to go to Degrassi now. Yeah. Now, this is where basically the B-plot is dropped. Yeah, thankfully. Right. Um, um, there's a shot of, like, the hallway. The police are walking through, and as the police are walking through, you kind of see kids peeping through the windows of the doors. Um, it's interesting watching how, how lockdowns are perceived in this, in this, because I can't tell how much of it is just dramatic. Like, they didn't want the kids kind of, like, curled up on themselves in dark rooms. And how much of it was just kind of, like, a sign of the times where, like, lockdowns are just done so dramatically now. You have people, like, you know, knocking on the doors. You have people pretending to be, like, bloodied and things like that. Like, a lot of really fucked up shit now. And, like, in here, you know, it is almost like maybe a bygone era where lockdowns were not... They were a part of the procedure, but they were not treated as seriously because, in theory, it was not happening literally every day. Right. Um, we end up in the library, and Sean is brought in. He doesn't have his hoodie on, but he has a bandage on his arm, so that's our confirmation that Sean survived. Um, and a detective approaches Toby and Mama Kerwin. I just got really upset because I realized nobody's going to come for Sean. No, nobody's there! <laughs> it's Sean's fucking own! Because, like, Ellie's in lockdown, so Ellie can't be, can't be, uh, called upon unless, like, Sauve was to personally maybe handpick her, but even then I don't know if she would have been able to. So it's, it's, it's actually devastating that this kid has, I mean, we will find out what truly happened, but, like, she, but, like, you know, Jesus Christ, he's been through something horrible and he does not have anybody to kind of support him and hold him. Meanwhile, Toby has Mama Kerwin. And Emma, as we find out, has Spike and Snake. Yeah. Um, the cops asking Toby, was he bullied? Do you have any idea why he did this? Toby just says he's a psycho. Um, and that he was constantly bullied and he's not his friend. Yeah. And the cops just, well, so I'll give you some time. Um, and then... Um, Uh, Spike, or Snake, saying that he needed help. Um, I'm not sh- I'm, I'm assuming he's talking about Rick. Because then Emma says he pointed the gun right at me. Radish shows up. Um, and Snake just goes off on him. Yep. Like, yeah, because like he's trying to comfort his daughter. And, like, Raj is like, they need you to go through his emails to look for signs. And Snake's just like, oh, of course now the groundbreaking 2020 hindsight policy kicks into gear. Mm -hmm. Radish starts making excuses. How fucking dare you? Also, like, he's like, I have 700 kids. I'm like, that's not that big of a school, dude. I have 700 students and a teaching staff that I'm responsible for every day. Your teaching staff has five people in it. Yeah, like, number one, your teaching staff has five people. (laughs) Don't get on my case because one kid overreacted to some spilled paint. Um, yeah, one kid who you've personally spoken to twice in the last two days, but did you listen? Of course I did. I bet you can't remember where he said, this tragedy, Dan, it could have been prevented if you hadn't. 
And Spike gets in between them and just like, you need to fucking shut this down. Right, right. Um, and then Raji's like, yeah, Emma, you might be questioned. And kind of like sheepishly. I hope he gets up. shit canned for this. I mean, it's rough because this conversation is not a bad conversation to have. But it does, once again, hit that very uncomfortable space concerning school shootings. Where it's like, the the, the red flag should have been his relationship with Terry. Yeah. It should have yeah. been... The fact that, like, you know, the fact that Radish had him be able to come back to school um, and had no real, like, anything set into place is the real red flag collection here. It's not that Rick came to his office and said these things, um, you know, within the past two days. It was honestly how Radish handled this whole fucking thing. Yeah, you should be Right. <laughs> yeah, it's literally, like, the narrative that comes around whenever there's a school shooting specifically because i have to dip into this whenever there is a white child you yeah. shoots up a school and then there's always the oh well he was such a nice boy or his friends are like never saw it coming he was so cool blah 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 blah, blah. and you get this narrative oh well I, he never would have done this like this has come out of students almost never the case if you actually mention to the kid, their actions, their personalities, what they've done before then, and seen the warning signs, and it was just, they were all ignored. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, outside the school, uh, we get Caitlin um, using her, you know, news anchor ranking to talk to a cop. Um, the cop says there were two shots fired. And this is another part that got to me where Joey is just like, he's, he says, my kid's in there, mm-hmm. which, like... Aw, big feeling. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's just, like, he's panicked, and he's just begging to be let in. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cops won't let him in. Um, oh, God. It just keeps getting worse, because then yeah. we cut to the classroom. Yeah, and, like, all the kids are losing their damn minds, because, like, they've just been locked into these classrooms for hours, I assume, at this point. And they're just goofing off. There's paper planes flying in the background. Paige is kind of, like, peeking out a window and kind of walking back to Ashley and Hazel. And, like, I don't know that much about lockdown procedure, but when I was a sub, there was always a piece of paper next to the window. Yeah. Like... Yeah, this is very much, like, very, very, very early lockdown procedure. Because it's, like, nowadays lockdown procedures, like I said, are very intense. Like, ridiculously intense in many ways. And, like, some schools, like, literally traumatizing in of itself. Um, but in this case, it's very much, um, you know... They're curious, they don't really know why they're still in here, they have some kind of, like, funny theories as to why, and as Hazel and Ashley are chatting about it, um, you know, is it because of, like, grade nines or, have like, panicking or things like that, and Paige is checking her phone and she comes in and she's like, hey, like, my, uh, Dahlia just looked really cute, uh, some people look at Dahlia to cope. Oh, thank you, Angel. What did she do? She just reached over. Um, um, Paige 
Um, Paige says, uh, my mom heard there was a shooting. Yeah, so Paige is the one that kind of leaks this type of information. Um, and of course, like, as she's talking about this, um, Hazel just kind of looks at Jimmy's empty desk. Um, and as she's doing that, Sauvet appears and says, like, hey, like, I need to talk to Hazel. Um, so she pulls Hazel aside and breaks the news to her that Jimmy has been shot. He is hospitalized. Um, and there's this very touching kind of moment where, she, where like, Hazel is just like, I gotta go. Like, I gotta go see him. And she's just like, look, like, I know you want to. I can't do it right now. Like, I can't send you out right now. But I will make sure that you, we, we will, I think she says, make sure you get to him. Yeah. And there's just, it's just, like, one of those things where you could tell that she, you know, Sauve kind of reads to me as a person, I, I relate a lot to Sauve, because I feel like Sauve is somebody who really understands what kids need, but also, unfortunately, has to be aware of the procedure of the way that things go. And you can see that she is angry and frustrated by it, because, and especially in this moment where she's trying to console Hazel, and she so badly wants to do what she can to get Hazel to go there, but also right now cannot bring her there. It sucks. You're not allowed on the table, Basil. Oh, yeah. That is not Basil. Basil's contently curled up. Um. Uh, then we get Spinner, um, Jay, and Alex are leaving. Alex. Yeah, they're dismissed. Basically, they're like, don't fucking grab shit from your lockers. You, I would encourage you not to talk to the reporters. Um, Alex is full of regrets. She just says, I don't know why I just went along with this. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay is just like, uh, relax, like, we're alive. Says the spinner, I thought it had been you. Um, Spinner's like, it was Jimmy. They're gonna find out, I have to. And, like, Jay's like, no, we're telling no one about this. I also found, um, the spec fact that Spinner was like, Jimmy is my best friend. And Jay, the darkest fucking line in this episode, says something like, you know, regardless of what happens, like, I, like, I think he was your best friend. And, like, holy fucking shit, dude. Like, Thanks, Jay, for fucking nothing. Right, like, the fucking gall to be in the epicenter of, like, this whole entire thing that has happened, and to just be like, you know, there's an A and a B situation, A, like, you know, there's a one and a two, like, one, you know, he's dead, so he's not your friend anymore, two, he hates you, and he's alive, like, it's just like, dude, that's so incredibly grim, um, uh, Spinner says, we might have killed him. Jay says, we didn't do. And then Spinner yells back at him, we did. Yeah. Um, the kids are following out of the school. Uh, Caitlin sees Craig and calls to him. Um. A reporter Cra approaches him. Yeah, Craig just tells them Jimmy got shot. Um, it's, her name is Rachel Rhodes, 
Um, and she begins trying to question Craig. And Caitlin is like, you need to fucking knock this off. And Rachel's like, you need to share, Caitlin. And Caitlin's like, I'm not covering this. And Rachel's like, well, then let me handle it. And Caitlin then threatens to beat the shit out of her. Right. This is really, like, the most useful thing Caitlin has ever done in Degrassi and Next Generation. <laughs> I just, I want to read the line. Here's a story for you. Local and sensitive reporter pummeled by famous colleague. I love it, honestly. Um, Super good. Rachel uh, sees her opening and goes for Toby. Um, says, you were the gunman's friend. Do you know who he was, who he was after, or why he did it? Toby says, I don't know. Um, Rachel says, did you try and stop him? Toby's like, what was I supposed to do? Mama Kerwin is trying just to get Toby out of here. And then Rachel drops a bomb. Did you, did the gunman say anything before he died? And Toby just looks back at her and says, he died, like, died. Um, cut to the hospital. Uh, Hazel and Paige are there. Um, Spinner walks up. Paige shakes her head at him, and he walks away crying. That's what it says in the transcript, and that's pretty much what happens. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I, I was full on crying during this. I'm getting cl- pretty close there. Yeah. Um, at the Kerwin's house. Um, it was Emma's. I think it's Emma's house. Oh, it says, like, the Kerwin. Oh, it is Kerwin's? Okay. Uh, whatever. It's one of their houses. One of their houses. It was dark. It was dark. The, the, the Kerwin and Nelson Simpson clans are all together now. Yeah. They're, like, watching the news in the dark. Um, um, <laughs> Mrs. Kerwin says that maybe Toby should turn off the news, and Spike's like, people don't get shot there. Well, also, it's like, they, they reiterate that, like, you know, Rick is dead. They don't say Rick's name because he's underage. Jimmy is in serious condition. Um, Toby is the one that's closest to the TV. He like has looks like he has very little space between himself and the screen. Everybody else is kind of just sitting at the kitchen table. So there's also that piece where like you see physically how affected he is by what is happening, whereas everybody else is almost like fearful of it and hiding behind him. Yeah. Which you know is very similar to even how he reacted to Rick while Rick was alive. Um, and Emma and Spike have this disagreement where Spike kind of takes that very traditional viewpoint reaction of, like, you know, this, like, never happened at Degrassi, like, what has happened with the world? And Emma's just kind of like, well, it fucking happened. Like, what the fuck do you want us to do? She says, you're at, like, Degrassi achieves sainthood. It's a school. Right. And then... Right, and it, it's actually, like, a very, I feel like, relevant conversation that we have had, even in 2019, where it's, like, you, you do have this feeling with gun violence, the way that it has manifested in the United States, where it's, like, nothing is fucking safe. Nothing. You, you, you go into a public space, and you almost resign yourself to the fact that it may happen. And it's... Terrible as that sounds, no matter where. I mean, there was, for fuck's sake, like a garlic festival and shit like that. Like, you literally go in. Movie theater. Movie theater. Schools. Like, literally nothing. Anything that you're with mass amounts of people, you are at the mercy of one person, potentially. Yeah. And it's, it's dark and grim, and, you know, what the fuck else are you supposed to do but keep going? 
but it is true. And Emma, while this is a very, like, pessimistic take, she's absolutely correct. Like, no place is sacred in this world that we live in where gun violence is the way that it is. Yeah. Um, Ashley um, yells about how he's a full-on psycho, certified freak. He made us the lead star in this because of like news. Mm-hmm. Um, Toby gets up and leaves, and uh, Ashley says he shot Jimmy. I want an answer. Who was this guy who shot him? If not some psycho, and then Tormi- Toby storms out, and Emma just says very quietly, "He was Toby's friend." Yeah. Um, and we cut to the school, and people are putting up pictures and candles on these steps. Um, Paige is, I, I'm guessing, talking to her mom, saying, there's no change, I've got to go, um, and then it's an intercut of just various scenes, um, where it's Paige and Hazel looking at Jimmy, Spinner lying on his bed, and, like, he has his drumsticks in his hands, and then he just throws them away. Um, Joey, Caitlin, and Craig and Angie are watching the news, which put Angie to bed. Right, like, this is not... Um, Toby and Emma meet up outside the school. Emma tries to comfort Toby. Somebody puts up a picture of Jimmy, and the two of them hug while crying. Yeah, and that's the freeze frame for the second episode. Um... A minus, like... <laughs> Frank's just like, we gotta get fucking done! A minus! I, I, uh, I mean, I know, like, we're gonna now get into, like, the actual discussion of, like, what happened, but just, yeah. like, that's just my ranking, A minus. I honestly don't want to do character rankings for this one. That's valid. It's just... Yeah. I think you can, uh, I think you can abstain. You can, yeah, and you can... If, you can also guess kind of where people are going to fall, but I'm just getting it. The, 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 the grade I give it comes from the fact that B plot was so inconsequential and kind of pointless. Mm-hmm. I'm, if I, if I was writing this episode, I would not have had it feature any, any one family. I would yeah. have had it feature every family. And just kind of give mm-hmm. you snapshots of, like, happy moments in their lives. Like, because that's, you know, it's a movie and literary te- te- uh, tactic of, like, look how happy things are, and now we're going to ruin it. Yeah. Um, oh, and I, I forgot one of the other parts of the montage is Sean and Ellie sitting on his couch watching the TV. Ellie is trying to comfort Sean. And Sean is just staring blankly it's forward. Devastating. That that was a scene that really rattled me. Um, it's also really hard because once again, it goes into that trauma piece, right? Like Ellie is used to having to pick up her mother's pieces, and now she has to. She's confronted with this unimaginable trauma that her partner has now gone through, and she has like a bag of tricks for lack of better terms much like how Sean's bag of tricks did not resolve the issue with Rick 
she's not necessarily going to be able to fix Sean during this. There's this ripple effect that kind of happens because of it. Oh. And it's it's really it's really sad. Yeah. Um, so uh where do you guys wanna start? I mean <laughs> it's so hard to like I don't know, try and pick a spot, I guess. Over I don't know, Donnie, do you wanna give your piece? Because honestly, in a weird complicated space with this episode because yeah. like well, I do feel that it handled certain aspects well, like establishing the the character of Rick as sort of like Loki and average school shooter, like history of misogyny, um, the type of like arrogance and, and personality like this Loki. I deserve certain things, and if I don't get them, then other people deserve them. But at the same time, I'm like really curious as to how that was on the part of the Grassi team. Like, did this happen... Oh, sorry, I... That's all. <laughs> did this happen because, like, the writers knew that they were going with Rick from the beginning, sort of looking at, you know, maybe the profiles of the Columbine shooters, maybe the profiles of any other shooters, that big sort of media coverage established as this character who would carry out this plot... Or did it happen to be coincidence? And I mean, I guess some people will argue that, like, overall intent doesn't matter if you get a decent execution. Mm-hmm. At the same point, I don't know. I kind of feel that, like, if you luck up into something, I don't know if you should necessarily be given particularly heavy praise. Well, I, I think the issue with having it be not Rick is that like we've we've been with these kids for four seasons. Right. Yeah. Um like we know their day to day, we know what they what they go through, what they put up with. Um so and having it be one of them after all, like, I feel like this isn't something you could just, it would, like, if it had been one of the other characters, I felt like it would take at least one or two seasons to set up. Like, yeah. full seasons. Of, to do it right. I, yeah. I think that some shows have Seemingly arbitrary, and I don't know how arbitrary it actually was, but it came off very arbitrary as a viewer. Have, like, arbitrarily been like, yeah, we're gonna have, like, this character. Yeah, yeah, it's edgy. We're gonna talk about this hard thing. Like, uh, And also, I guess what I'm saying isn't necessarily, like, why Rick, but why school shooting some because, like, right. I feel like while this is something that is very poignant and something that kids do go through, it's just one of those issues, low-key, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if exactly. it's not something that you're talking about in media that kids are engaging with, it's sort of delegitimizing their experiences. But at the same time, it's been proven. And, like, you and me were just talking about 13 Reasons Why when we took uh, a brief break, like, 
stuff like this does have real world repercussions. How many kids watched this episode? Degrassi didn't necessarily see the things that we saw as adults now, with mm-hmm. Rick being like a clearly bad character. What if they saw themselves in Rick? What if they saw Rick as a sympathetic character? Because like, you know, I was trying to think of the mind space I would have been in as not necessarily like me now watching Degrassi mm-hmm. seeing like that we've been exposed to like as adults a hundred percent like little elementary middle school me would have been sympathetic to Rick. Like, oh yeah, they were mean. Oh yeah, they shouldn't have not necessarily being able to see the patterns from previous episodes. Okay. Especially given, like, if the episodes didn't air in a solid block. So, like, I guess just what I'm getting at is, like, I don't know. I, I feel like approaching subject matter like this in, in a media setting, it's always really, it's like, what if it does spark more? What if it does do more harm? Well, the, the, the thing is, like, I, I see what you're saying, and I could see that with other kinds of media and other kind of messaging, mm-hmm. but, like, I don't think this one kind of really adds up to that, because it's just, Rick doesn't survive to the end of this. Like... That's true. But at the same time, couldn't that be a sort of martyr situation? Where be- because he didn't make it out, like, people could potentially even be... Like, I'm not saying that, like, this is an answer that we would have in yeah. this situation. But just, like, I don't know. It's just something that I've been thinking about. Like, not only just with, with this, like, plot in this series, but just, like, about media in general. Yeah, it's a really hard kind of precarious topic because I feel like you can make this case for a lot of more what would be considered controversial issues in the sense of like you could you could easily make an argument that like media should not explore certain topics. And I wouldn't necessarily think that that argument is inherently wrong in the process. But also at the same time, like, it's it's hard to balance where the obligation in media lies when it comes to this type of stuff. Because, like, right. like, you can't say that it's a rare occurrence anymore. It literally is happening all the fucking time, all over. Exactly. On the other hand, like, there is a right, there is a way to do it which does not necessarily glorify it. But also at the same time getting to that point of creating something that does not glorify it, I think that path is much more difficult than I think most people realize and recognize. And and there is, and to speak to what you said, like I think there is a big element of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if Rick survived all of this, then you're damned because it kind of goes into like what has happened with a lot of these school, these shooters who are typically white, privileged men who, yeah. who are able to get just get arrested and not get, you know, entirely decimated in the process. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, like, this thing that would happen where if he survived, then that's just reiterating the trend, and that's just reiterating, like, you know, this idea of, like, he's a lost soul, that there's still this chance that he can be changed or reached out to. Yeah, exactly. Like, they could have tried to squeeze in some sort of god-awful, like, redemption plot, which a character like Rick absolutely doesn't. 
Right, and it's... Also, like, also not sure, like, the types of people who would do the things that Rick were doing would be the types to watch. But I don't know, maybe that's just me. I mean, I have no idea. I wouldn't know either way. But it, it, No it, idea what their demographics were back then? Not in that sense, no. I, I don't think that's anything that could really be quantified either. Like, I, I, yeah. I just don't think it's something that we, we would be privy to at all. It's... Mm-hmm. It's very tricky because I do, I do, it is something I struggle with. Like, I don't write, I have never really written about, I have never, in general, written about, like, a school shooting, but I do like, not like to, but, like, something that I find very relevant in my writing is, like, writing about characters who are suicidal or who have struggled with self-harm or, like, you know, have gone through really rough shit or have been sexually assaulted, and and not necessarily depicting it on screen, but still, like, you know, having the ideations and having the thoughts about it and having the scars about it and things like that. Like, people could make the argument, like, hey, this is triggering and can be be misconstrued in a certain way. And then then you do slowly go into the circle of, like, well, if, if, if I talk about it this way, then it's bad, and if I talk about it this way, it's bad, and if I talk about it this way, it's definitely bad then why am I going to put this time into talking about it at all? It, it's, it's just, like, it is a very difficult... I don't even want to say a slippery slope, because I don't really think it is a slope. I think it's just... This... No, it's just a weird line to toe. Exactly. Because, honestly, no one really has the answer. So, no. No. Yeah, like, there's no way of saying, like, you know, maybe if you do it in such a way that it's not depicted graphically on the screen, but I feel like Degrassi does that, but at the same time... I don't know, what, is, is there a better way, or, I don't know, like, this is such a, a complicated situation that, like, really will probably to. Yeah, like, it is, it is, even in 2019, I would still argue it is worth watching, it is worth looking at as a potential way Definitely. to tell this story. I think that it still hits, in spite of its flaws, it still hits upon a lot of the truths that we are trying so hard to make bring attention to in society, especially with regards toward the demographics of school shooters. Yeah. I think it's, it's really fucking trying. And in some ways, in many ways, I would argue, is very progressive for what it is. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I was, I wanted to bounce off the thing you said about the demographic mm. school shooters because Rick definitely hits the profile he that is. we're still seeing yeah, in 2019. He, he's like a low-key poster child for what is. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. It's just like. I, I'm trying to find the right words to say it, but it's just like... It's hard. It's hard to know what to say. Yeah. Um, especially with this topic being so relevant to just now. Just even, like, months, weeks ago. Like, that's how visceral. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's rough. There's, it's, it's like one of those things where it's just kind of like, you can sense that this is not perfect, but also wh- what does perfection look like? And that's where I think the conversation truly gets into a weird hole. Because or at least what like least amount of harm done looks like. Right. Even then we still don't have it. 
Right, like it's it's like what does a the most harm reduce take on this exist? And I think this is a, that is ultimately the conversation piece with any of these types of really heavy topics. Like, yeah. what what is the way to talk about it that is real, that is cathartic for people who have gone through it, but also does not trigger or enable or you know could potentially be picked apart? And I don't know if that narrative necessarily exists i think degrassi gets really fucking close with a lot of these topics right. I, I don't think it always nails it but i do feel like when it in the grand scheme of things i feel like ultimately a good degrassi episode i would probably still recommend all these years later above like some yeah. ya that just is is just like you can tell the intent is fucking fucked yeah mm-hmm. or like they're just trying to capitalize off of like right now right or they don't really actually put any real heart right or it's the classic like i'm a psychologist and i work with teenagers so i know what's going on and it's like no you don't fucking know Um, (laughs) i know this is gonna sound diminishing but can i just like i'm 33 how old are y'all i am 28 okay so when i was because this this episode aired the year I was graduating high school. Oof. Um, so, you were five years behind me, mm-hmm. so that, that you would have been, like, what, sixth grade? Yes. Six or seven? I would have been, yeah, cusp of, like, elementary middle. So, the thing is, tiny. the thing is, um, having a few years on you guys, like, I remember the feeling in high school, like, being in high school during this time. Mm-hmm. It was fucking scary. Yeah, I'm sure, because also it, you were oh, yeah. you were in high school when 9-11 hit then, right? Oh, yeah. I think we, yeah. we, we discussed that. I right, was, right. I, I got sent home because I lived, uh, my hometown was close enough to, like, we could you could see New York City across the bay. Yeah, but I mean, like, being a high schooler processing 9-11 is just fundamentally different from, like, me, who was in, like, sixth grade process, like, fifth or sixth grade processing it. Yeah, like, we, like, um, yeah, I, I, I see the faults you guys are poking at, and I think they're valid, but, like, this is what it was like. Like, you just, yeah. con- during this time period, you constantly heard, like, if somebody's acting weird, talk to them. Right, or, like, like or smile talk to at them, like, be nice to them. Yeah, like, if you hear somebody's assembling a list or something, like... Re- Report it. Yeah. Oh, right. You know... It w- I'm definitely trying to, like, disparage that. But, like, yeah. since... It's just that the, the way that things have... Sh- and the way that we talk about, like, the causes of these things. Like, like I think I remember telling Donnie, like, yeah, this would not fly into 2019 because of that well, but- narrative. Because even that of, like, snake tearing at... Reddit for like him not addressing the bullying as if that were the actual cop but like yeah at the time oh yeah this is perfect for the actual situation that yeah. like was going on at the time yeah that like i'm trying to coming at this from the, where i was in 2004 this what this would have rang so true mm-hmm. like oh, yeah. you know it's been a decade and a half like this this wouldn't work now, but, like, well, you know, um, I, I feel, I feel like the Degrassi writers, the reason that I felt, I feel like they, 
going back to what you were saying, Diane, like, this mm-hmm. wasn't about sensationalization. This was just like, look, we can't not do this. Yeah. Like, we have to address this. Yeah. And I I saw a post on Tumblr where somebody said, like, Rick was built for this, you know, because we, you couldn't have one of the other kids end up here without, like, doing some major new groundwork. It would literally take, like, a character overhaul yeah. for any of the other do this. Um, or else it would just would have felt cheap and worthless. Like, this hits so hard because we spent so much time with Rick and saw the absolute pits of what Rick was. Mm-hmm. Like, he was never, like, he was never a good guy. He was never anything but self-centered and self-righteous. So, when he gets to this point, like, it makes perfect sense that, like, these people wronged him, and it just snowballed from there. I'm not saying any of them deserved it. I'm not saying Rick was justified. It just, if I'd seen this in 2004, this would have fucking hit me. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I and like I said, like, even me seeing it, like, in middle school, like, yeah, 100%, like, I, I see 100% where you're coming from. I guess, like, I wasn't trying to delegitimize anything. Just, like, trying to compare and contrast how we can look at this now and see that this is a good example of this versus what it would have been like to experience, you know, firsthand, like, growing up in that environment. And that's, yeah. Wouldn't have come out with the thought process me middle school or even me high school like seeing this for the first time versus me now and all of the information that we we've got privy to us but i mean that's just like i said just product of the times versus society moving and you know i'm going through that time a lot of it was just a lot of it was just fear i was constantly scared you know um i was and I, I started my, um, originally I was on an educational track, um, and when I got towards the end of my high, my college career, so that's 2009, where, where were you guys at at that point? 2009, I was graduating high school. Yeah, at that point, I was subbing and doing teacher observations, mm-hmm. and I, this is probably, you probably still count to this, Donnie, but like... Yeah. In one of the schools I subbed at, I was doing hallway duty, and they had a cop there, and the cop had a gun. Yep. And I just remember just feeling complete unease and looking at, and just like, well, this is the world. Like, this is what we have to do. And I hate everything. Seeing, I hate seeing that weapon in this school. There are children around. Right. And, like, but... I remember how terrified I was because we, in my high school, we didn't have metal detectors. We didn't have guns or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And because we were, we were like, you know, we were super small. I had 300 kids, seven through 12. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, we didn't have things like that. And I knew everyone and they knew me and I'm pretty sure like, I'm pretty sure the teachers knew, like, 
just about everyone too. But and I think, but yeah, like, but even then, you would look at people and just think, "I'm scared of you," and I'm scared of that, and yeah. I I also remember like, I subbed at my old high school, and I was just like, I, this place has changed a lot. Like not that's unrecognizable, but I remember walking around being like, okay, if shit goes down, how am I going to keep these kids safe? Right. Well, <laughs> Just, like, hating every moment of that. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who we all know, if you listen to the podcast, I work with kids. Yeah. Um, I started student teaching the year that Sandy Hook happened. And oh. I just remember being very resigned because I was like, well... As terrible as it sounded, I was like, well, there's literally nothing I can do. This is the career field I want to be in. And a bunch of kids just got killed. Like, small kids. And nothing happened. And if that means... If that was not enough for people to do shit, then I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. I have to just go to work. Like, there's literally nothing I can do. This is what I want to do. I want to work with kids. If that means that I may end up in a situation where, like, you know, I am in a life-or-death situation... Well, fuck it. Like, it was just this very, this, like, just quiet resignation. And I remember my mother being like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, are you sure you want to be a teacher? And that was specifically her concern. It wasn't the stress, and it wasn't the anxiety with teaching. It wasn't the struggle to find a job. It wasn't anything like that. It was after this huge tragedy happened where a bunch of elementary-aged kids died, do you, like, still want to put your life on the line to teach? And my answer was, like, hell yeah, of course I do. Like, why wouldn't I? Number one, it's all I'm good at. Number two, like, I enjoy doing it. Number three, I mean, at that point, there was so there was already gun violence in locations outside of schools that was being very well reported. It just kind of felt like, well, what the fuck else am I going to do? I, I was having a discussion with my friend about this the other day of just, mm. like... And I just, like, she, you know, she was saying, like, I'm, because she's going through some hard times in her family, and I was saying, like, look, the best thing you can, like, bad things are going to happen, but you have to keep going and just keep building relationships with your family and friends, so when they do hit, you can be prepared with them, and that's kind of how I feel about the world, like, world on a whole, like, bad shit's going to happen, and when it does, you just have to just, like, forge ahead and as Mr. Rogers said, try and find the people helping and join in with them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry this is such a downer episode. I mean, it was... It was going to be no matter yeah. what. It was going to be number one. Number two, it is, it is such a critical moment in Degrassi. Like, and how it's, it's, it, it, it warrants this weight. Like, it's not something that was done half-assed and now we're just screaming about it. Like, in spite of its faults, ultimately, it is a very moving, a very stirring piece of media. It, like, honestly, when this episode finished, I said out loud, nobody was home, I just said it in my room alone, I just said, something has changed. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I feel like I, we've hit a point of, like, the show is not going back to the way it was. Yeah. Like, so. It's, yeah, I mean, it is, like, a, a true game changer. 
it's it's it, it does it once again it raises the stakes right like all of the situations that were happening though they were devastating to the character ultimately really only connected back to the character it wasn't like they did anything that really truly like i mean they're like cheating and shit like that but ultimately the the epicenter of that is relatively small this is a community scale tragedy this is yeah. something that will rock Degrassi and would rock any school that go, goes through something like this. And because of this, we are going to have to see consequences. Like, there is going to be a different school when we see it again. And what that looks like as a viewer could be many different things. It doesn't mean the administration is going to change. Does that mean the way that they are going to handle conflict is going to change? Does that mean that you know, friendships are going to come together and fall apart. Like, there's so much that is happening, and while you, and you also are in this precarious situation where you have kids that are directly in the epicenter of the tragedy, directly had guns to their heads, directly got shot, and then you have everybody else. And that is also going to be a very interesting storytelling device where you have kids who are directly involved, like Jimmy, like Sean, like Emma, like Toby, who now have to work through this horrible tragedy um, and have very complicated feelings about it, especially in the case of Emma and Toby. But then you also have everybody else who now has had the safety of their school be violated. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the stakes have now been put into a place, and I'm impressed that in some ways that it took four seasons to truly raise these stakes. Not to, once again, bring back Grey's Anatomy, because I think Grey's Anatomy, every fucking finale, something weird and wacky happens, whether it's, like, two people, like, fucking stuck on a pole, or, like, literally a sinkhole in the middle, the size of Seattle opens up. Like, this type of shit happens every fucking season. You're mentally prepared for it. You know it's gonna happen. Somebody might die. But also, like... I'm also, and that's also always in the finale, what I like about this episode is actually how it's structured. It's still relatively early in the season. It is not the season finale. It's not right. the mid-season finale. We, we just hit a third. Right. Like We're not we, even halfway through. Which, which makes me feel a little better about this plot in the grand scheme of things because it reads to me that they understand that the story is not necessarily the shooting itself. It's the lead up and the fallout the shooting is a moment and it's sad and it's upsetting and it's traumatizing and it has consequences, but it's really the lead up in the, in the back end of it that are actually the parts that really truly matter when you're telling this type of story. And I think that's why I also like Degrassi and how they handle this, because I think that ultimately they really do try to look at the consequences of the situation. Yeah. Like, how does, for example, you not to use, like, keep going back to Ellie and her self-harm, how does her self-harm impact her relationships with others? How does that impact her relationship with her mother? How does that impact her relationship with Sean, with friends, with not-so-friends? Like, that's the, the piece that becomes more relevant. How does this impact her perception of herself? That's, those are the questions that I think ultimately a writer needs to be asking. And I think that goes back to what we've been struggling with, like, I think as a writer, it really is a foundational piece of what's the point in talking about this trauma? Is it just to show kids that this is what this trauma looks like? Or is it 
this is a part inherent part of this character that I want to explore, and this is how I have to do to tell the story. Like, yeah. I think that's what it comes down to, and that's why so many YA titles I have so much issue with, because it feels as though they just want to fucking, like, I, like, you know, it's like, I just want to tell a story about self-harm. I just want to tell a story about suicide. I just want to tell a story about sexual assault. But, like, what, I, but, like, that makes it different between, like, kind of, like, the, the shit that you don't want to really care about and, like, speak. Or, like, books like that where you do have a character, you do care about them, this is a piece of them, but it's not all of them. Um, and maybe the book focuses on this traumatic point in their life, but there's something to it. I think Hold Still is another really good example of this. There's a couple really good YA titles that go above and beyond of this expectation. Um, and I think Degrassi also does this, where it understands that, at least when it wants to understand it, because sometimes it doesn't do this, and sometimes it doesn't give characters this, this degree of nuance. It understands, look, we want to talk about this controversial topic, but we understand that it's not going to end after 22 minutes. Yeah. Um, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you said. The mm -hmm. way I see it is, um, and Lin Lindsay Ellis uh, did this amazing video where she broke down the last season of Game of Thrones. Yes. Um, and she says, like, in the first five seasons, or first, yeah, first five seasons, or first six seasons or whatever, they were going by the books where characters were moving in because of mo like sociological motives. Mm -hmm. Like they're like, I think I should be on the throne for this. I think I should be doing this because, you know, this is what the kingdom needs. Like they were moving based on what they they thought was right for their country and what society where needed them. And it only became kind of shitty when they moved to the more personal stories, wherein, like, we're focusing on characters and their feelings, but not doing it very well. Mm -hmm. For Degrassi, I feel like they did the exact opposite, where they focused so much on the personal stories and how, th like, they, they give you this core group of students... In episode three, you know, Jimmy, Ashley, Spinner, Paige, you know, and, and the rest. And they're like, okay, let's flick some dominoes and see where things fall and land. And then we'll mm -hmm. add, like, we'll just add another student into that original mix. And that's another set of dominoes. Let's see where it lands. And I think, though, I think that this is, like... For me, the, the, this is such a natural progression of, like, things kept escalating with Rick and escalating in the setting that, like, okay, well, we can't just confine this to the school anymore. Now right. there is a, like, there is a sociological problem at Degrassi in that there has been violence on the school grounds. Because, mm -hmm. like, you know, Degrassi... I'm not sure what its reputation was before, but it is now has, like, this is going to be its history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, my high school had a history because of, like, one fight that happened years before I ever got there. And then we, then we became, like, the bad school, at least while I was going there. I think it's kind of raised its uh, reputation since then. But it's just, like, the Crossy just, like, they fucked up. The administration, a lot of people fucked up. And now, this is, like, 
Now, probably the entire country knows about Degrassi. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's, there's a lot to it. And I, I feel like this is also, like, the perspective of three people. I, honestly, this is something I would love to hear more people talking about because it's, it's just, there's so much to it. And I, you know, it's one, like I said, it's one of those episodes that I just knew. I was like, you know, this is one of the episodes we have to confront. This is one of the episodes that I know we need to talk about. Um, I know we need, and I, I got very obsessed recording it with the idea of, like, doing it justice, for lack of better terms. But I think ultimately it's one of those things where it's like no matter what, like, it is a constant conversation. And, and unfortunately yeah. society has let it become its constant conversation. The government has let it become a constant conversation. This should not be a conversation in 2019. It should not be a, a conversation piece over 10 years since this episode aired. Yeah. And yet it, it, it just is more and more pertinent and it's very upsetting that it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But, um, yeah, like I said, I, I truly would love to hear more people talking about it because, um, especially in, like, a 2019 lens, like, I really encourage anyone, if you're just listening to this because you like just kind of listening and remembering how these episodes work, I really encourage you watching these episodes because it's, like, it, it's, it's, it's something that I think is worth trying to make sense of in 2019. And if you... And we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. For sure. Um, so write us at ihopepod at gmail.com. Yeah, I would really love to hear thoughts about it. Not just in like a, a ego stroking, I want to hear feedback type of way. Like, no, I, I legitimately would love to hear more conversation pieces about this. Yeah. Um, because like, we, we only have our perspectives here, right? Like, we, we only have like our personalized experiences. This has impacted us to a certain extent. Um, a lot of, especially because a lot of us either care about kids or work with kids, so the idea of, like, a school being a space that is violated is also something that really stirs something in us, but I, I'm very intrigued to hear other people's thoughts, like I said, like, really watch this episode and try and make sense of it, and if you feel comfortable sharing your thoughts, like, we would really love to hear them. Yeah. Um, shall we transition to recommendations? Unless there's any other thoughts anyone has. I'm good. No, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Um, my recommendations, I mean, honestly, I do not try to find actively seek very much stuff relating to school shootings and all that type of shit. Um, of the things that I've seen, this tends to be the best one. Um, I mean, honestly, the only media I've been consuming right now is Fire Emblem Three Houses, but also... We're talking a lot about trauma and how people process trauma and how they don't always process it in a way that is great um, and that they struggle with it. And that's a big piece of the game that I've really been pulling from. So um, if you want to kind of see how people respond to violence and respond to uh, violence put upon them and how that manifests sometimes into unhealthy coping mechanisms and things like that, like that is a big component of that game. So sincerely I do recommend it but like I said um I don't actively seek this type of stuff I do feel like this episode has a lot of merit I think it's something worth talking about in 2019 I hate that it is worth talking about in 2019 but I do truly stand by it um and I encourage people to and I also encourage people to have conversations related to this episode I think they are still worth having 100% mm. 
Jazz, um, do you have any? Honestly, have any recommendations? Well, like you said, I don't necessarily engage with media or even media that would have a topic similar to this like come across my purview of like ingestion so all i'm gonna say is um elections are coming up next year um sure. if you are eligible to vote please do so um make sure you read up on candidate stances regarding gun violence what they've said about school shootings um anything if there are any fundraisers that you can think to donate to that would help you know, either the kids who have gone through these shootings and are actively fighting against gun violence or any just general organized, you know, seek them out, give them your support if possible, spread the word. Just, you know, we know what needs to be done. It's just setting the thing in motion. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think there's some really good stuff in that. Absolutely. Um... I guess I would just recommend donate to every town. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't have any real conditions for this. Um, I, I, I I was thinking about a film I saw. They showed us in high school, called um, based off the play uh, called Bang Bang You're Dead. Um, have you guys heard of that? Or? No, I haven't. It's a play um, about school shootings. Like, this character is confronting... Like, in the play, he's confronted by his victims. And, like... They, they show a portion of the play. It's a one-act play. They show a portion of it in, um, in the movie. Because the movie is about um, a young man who threatens, it makes a bomb threat to his school, and then, like, it's basically, like, him trying to kind of come to terms with, like, what he did and people's reaction towards it. Um, and, like, then, like, he has to basically do community service, and one of the things he has to do is perform in the play Bang Bang, You're Dead. Mm-hmm. And, um... I remember at the time I thought it was well done. I'm not. I haven't seen it since I saw it back in two thousand four. So if it doesn't hold up, I apologize. But um, I do like. There's one scene that stuck with me where his parents are talking about him as they're going to bed, and then his mom gets up and locks their bedroom door. Oof. And I just remember just like sitting back there, I'm like, that's so fucked. Um, but like. Yeah, um, if I remember correctly, I think it was worth checking out, mm-hmm. so. I mean, worst comes to worst, check it out. It came out. see if you can form your own opinion about it. Yeah, it came out two years, yeah. actually, before this episode. Okay. So. Okay. Um, well, I mean, not the most uplifting note, but Jazz, you've made it through. Yeah, fucking somehow, huh? Yeah, I mean... Like I said before, like, I, I couldn't imagine going through it with anybody else, so thank yeah, you for that. Yeah, definitely. Of course, I'm glad that I was this with you guys. Thank you so much for inviting me up again. No problem. Uh, how can people continue the conversation or get in touch with you about other things? Um, if 
feel free to reach out to me at Jazzaray, J-A-Z-Z-A-R-R-A-Y-E on Twitter. Um, mostly have been screaming about either the mobile game that I've been invested in for the past year. Um, Nintendo stuff, uh, because there was a direct mm-hmm. for filming that. Um, I am very excited for Animal Crossing because it is coming out uh, near my birth. Yeah, my, it, it was literally made for me, is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, please feel free to shout at me on Twitter. Yeah, please send Jazz like cute cat pictures for doing this. <laughs> please. Would love some cats. Would love some Animal Crossing engagement. True. <laughs> Both. You somehow managed to play Dragalia Lost. Please, I'm scrapped for friends right Somewhere out there. Hopefully we have a listener who does. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to keep in touch with the show, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can email us at ihopod at gmail.com. We really mean it when we say we would love to hear more thoughts relating to this episode, relating to Dragalia in general, all that type of stuff. I mean, we enjoy talking about it. We enjoy talking about our connections to it. We enjoy listening to our guests talking about it. And we legitimately never get tired of it. So please do not hesitate to message us. Um, if you feel comfortable, we would love to air some of your thoughts about the show, whether it's reading it or audio files and things like that. And also, of course, don't hesitate to send any questions, comments, or concerns or any potential interest in hosting. Um, we love having uh, guest hosts. They really help us get through some of these heavier episodes, such as this one. Um, and they really do help us stay on track and make sense of this and also get a different perspective during it. So if you yourself have been always a kind of wondering about doing it, or if you have a friend who you think would be an excellent fit for it, please make sure that you get us in touch. If you want to follow us on social media, I know my social media skills have kind of dragged off a little bit. I've been really busy, but I should be back into a routine soon. You can follow us on Twitter at iHopePod. Um, where we are always updating things and you could potentially get involved in the social media of some of our guests and also Facebook at I Hope, um, which is our Hope I Can Make It Through podcast where you can join our group. If you want to engage with us, there's a couple ways you can do it. Number one, you can donate to our coffee. Any money that we make during our coffee, uh, through our coffee account goes to our tech upgrades as well as compensating our guests. And we also have our review challenge. So once we hit 20 reviews, we are hoping to go back into the Degrassi archives, check out Degrassi Junior High, Degrassi High episodes, and give you bonus content um, as a thank you for your help with it. Um, if you want to talk to me individually on Twitter, you can follow me at I, uh, um, not I Hope Pod. I mean, you could follow I Hope Pod, but you can also follow me on Twitter at DM is Unbreakable. Admittedly, it is Fire Emblem Three Houses Central, and all I can talk about are my. My boys and my girls. My boys and my wife. Um, so feel free to follow me on that, but heads up, it's just, it's a nightmare zone right now. Um, I'm writing fanfic for the first time in a while that isn't for a zine. That's how much I love it. But if you're interested, um, feel free to follow me. Um, uh... Uh, I don't have a Twitter, but I do have another podcast called Teen Girl Talk that I do with my sister, where we cover just all generalized teen media. This week, we hit um, we headed back to Hogwarts with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix with a subtitle I am very proud of, which is Voldemort Tried to Kill Harry for His Air Jordans. Good. Um, it makes sense if you listen to the episode. Good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, I also have a YouTube channel where I do stuff about mental health il- illness, 
excuse me, where I do stuff about mental health, about, um, about comic books, and I write weird uh, romantic fan fiction t with random characters like the Predator and Tuxedo Mask and um, Demona from Gargoyles and the Medusa. Yeah, but when are you going to write me fanfic about my Fire Emblem ship? Are they in slash Romance Without Borders? Probably not. <laughs> From the of it, it would wind up being one part of your ship and, like, Pac-Man Right. Can you give Didu a good boyfriend? I, I don't know who Didu is. I will tell you! Off air. Okay. Um, and, yeah, that's about it for me. Alright. Well, we hope we can keep making it through and that you're going to be there with us. Till next week, everybody. Later. Bye. Thank you.